previously on the What's Real podcast. So they have like plastic wrap around the nest, like in this tree. They're filling it with some substance and then sucking the murder hornets dry. <laughs> and they gotta fight the hall. <laughs> I mean, can you believe this? Funny, funny. Fight the hall, but. The most important one remains, hey, Ed, as they go back for a second go. They didn't get the fucking murder hornet queen. Oh. Uh, for those that don't know, appropriately named A Recipe for Seduction, the Lifetime original will premiere on December 13th. And judging from the trailer, it looks like the colonel hired as a household's new chef who walks around in a tight shirt in jaunty ascot will be involved in some sort of love triangle. <laughs> Did you just say jaunty ascot? <laughs> it's a five-star podcast because we do it what's up everybody welcome back it is episode 53 the season two premiere of the what's real podcast i am your host ed demko along with my cohort my co-conspirator my co-contributor my co-host my tag team championship partner in podcasting the motherfucking jay himself jared bajoris welcome back the jay we fulfilled the great austrian oak himself one arnold schwarzenegger's prophecy he hey y'all and we're back. We are back and we're better than ever. It's season two of what's real. As you can tell, I am vascular. I am striated. There is a purple hue. I am pumped to the gills. I literally did go to the gyme today. Hey, so, you know, I, I am not bullshitting with just podcast proverbs. I am pumped up and we are back and ready to go. And even though we didn't really go anywhere, we had some specials. I hope everybody had some fun over the holidays into the new year, but welcome to 2021 and what's real season two. That's right, man. We have a epic show this week. Uh, me and the Jay have been chomping at the bits to get to this one. We have a huge announcement, as we mentioned, coming up for February that we'll get into uh, before we take our commercial break. Also, we're going to have the NFL regular season wrap up, including our final regular season power rankings. We're going to talk about the Steelers and Browns uh, playoff game, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, so, and of course, we're going to talk about the rest of the NFL playoffs and uh, all kinds of good stuff with that. We're going to talk Cobra Kai season three. That's going to be a lot of fun. And we did have an issue, uh, obviously, because you know you can't you can't do stuff without having some sort of an issue. Um, we were going to do uh, best of the best two uh, and the return of Thursday night prime this week. But unfortunately guys, that's not going to happen. See the version that we had was strictly in Cantonese. So uh, yeah, that, that ended up being a problem and it's crazy the Jay, because this movie ended up being insanely elusive uh, for such a weird oddball thing, but we are not going to leave you guys hanging. Uh, What we're going to do instead is we are going to put off uh, Thursday night prime for a week And instead, this week, we're going to take a look at part one of the brand new HBO documentary titled Tiger, all about the rise and fall of Tiger Woods. Now, as I said, next week uh, will be the return of Thursday Night Prime. And because we felt bad 
okay? Because, you know, we kind of fucked this up. So the J, we're going to come with them next week with a double feature on Thursday Night Prime. And that's going to be the world of Savage Beach. None other than Savage Beach and return to Savage Beach. Uh, Andy Sidaris uh, fans might uh, be familiar with those. Uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and, of course, we're going to have some goofs or goofs this week. But the J, let's get into it. We have a lot of shit to talk about this week. But before we get down to it here, I guess I should also say, if you're listening on iTunes, uh, please check us out and give us a five-star review on there. It helps out the algorithm for the show, gets more eyes and ears on the program. Uh, of course, you can listen to us on Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and every week at churchillpictures.com. Uh, and also another uh, quick hiccup, if you guys listen to the best of, uh, you know, program last week and there were some technical hiccups we do apologize there was some weird stuff going on last week with itunes and spotify and uh we've since gotten it resolved so if you guys want to go and check those out now they're done the proper way uh without the glitches and stuff like that so we do apologize for that uh and thanks to cam for really helping us out and working out a lot of stuff for us as well but uh what can you say the jay uh there is nowhere else for us to start off other than uh, right here. Um, in the past week since we've recorded, uh, there was basically, uh, there's no other way to say it, but an insurrection of the U.S. Capitol building. And we generally sway away from politics here on the show. Um, but this is one of those things that you can't really do that because uh, we're obviously American citizens. Um it doesn't matter to us what side of the aisle anybody is on politically here. Um, but frankly, if you support this kind of action, it's pretty lousy and it's, it's frankly sad. Um, and of course I got to preface this too, by saying these are strictly my opinions, not the opinions of the what's, what real, what's real podcast or Churchill pictures.com uh, or of the J these are strictly just my words here. Um, but frankly, that's, that's about as garbage of a thing as I've seen in a really, really long time, or maybe ever, uh, as far as being an American citizen goes, um, it was terrible. Um, hopefully, um, you know, everybody that is involved is dealt with accordingly. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but if you think this kind of stuff's cool, like, you know, that's horseshit in my book. That's just me though. As you mentioned, we, we like to have fun. We like to be entertaining here on what's real. Uh, we speak of that week in and week out, but issues arise and we have a platform here. Um, all three of you listening, uh, you're going to hear our words, <laughs> but um, bum but no, I mean, th this is a serious matter and that's the thing, you know, we tackled, uh, the George Floyd Floyd incident when it occurred and, and certain other things in 2020. I mean, obviously we fully covered the pandemic and, uh, specifically we just wanted to steer away from, from politics and religion. Cause you see that everywhere nowadays. And we want everybody again to, to just have fun and be entertained. And, and as we constantly say here on what's real, just come into Ed and Jared and Cam's world and the world of Thursday night prime and big boobs and action movies and pro wrestling and sports and sneakers and everything else. But again, this is a very important matter and we wanted to talk about it a little bit. We thought it would be an injustice not to bring it up. And uh, to, to Ed's point, uh, these are just my opinions and my words. And I just wanted to cut straight to the chase. Hey, you know, we don't need to get into it. We, we want to get right into having fun. So my biggest take on it is it, it was a terrible thing to see. It hurt my heart for our country. And the biggest problem I had was the unnecessary violence. 
Five people were killed in this incident. Uh, others were injured, but um, going directly to the deaths, that is completely where I draw the line of anything. That is where, in my opinion, there shouldn't even be arguments. That is where there isn't sides or politics involved. It is five people dead. And to me, that just tells the story that you can sit here and break down and, you know, dissect so many factors involved in this incident. It's a historic day in American history, albeit on the wrong side of history, again, in my opinion. However, I just go back to that when the dust had cleared and the smoke settled as a cliched thing to say that was literal for this day. It was the deaths that really got to me. Like, are you, you, you know, you're kidding me. This, this thing turned into five people actually dying. That should be the bottom line to me. Hey, Eel. yeah. And that's a, uh, that's a great point. And th- this is also a weird situation to talk about in, in that regard too, because um, usually in a situation like this, uh, I would be one to say that all these deaths were senseless and should have never happened. I don't agree in this situation, uh, specifically with one person who will not be named, but a woman who was involved with storming the Capitol. I have zero problem with her death at all um, because that's, that's just flat out traitorous bullshit that just doesn't fly with me. Um, I'm not somebody that yells fascism and stuff like that constantly uh, when I'm talking about, you know, the government and things like that. But this is a situation where that shit just does not fucking fly with me, period. Um, you know, we all know what part of, you know, being a citizen is in this country. And there's, there's a lot of people out there that aren't really good human beings to begin with. Um, but that's kind of like a baseline thing that like, you're not going to be a traitor to your country, uh, you know, especially somebody that served 14 years in the armed services. Um, but that's a whole other issue for a whole other day type thing here. Um, but this all could have been prevented. Um, I do feel bad for, you know, the family and stuff of people that passed away there too, even the woman that I was speaking of, because they don't deserve something like that. They had nothing, you know, they weren't particularly, I'm not saying there weren't things that they could do, but I'm not saying that they necessarily deserve that kind of a thing because they did lose a daughter, even though it was her fault, um, in my opinion. But it's a really sad day. And it's like, we're we're getting to the point in this country where, something's got to give here and you kind of hope that people would like for a better tomorrow with a lot of things. And then stuff like this really kind of scrambles your brain, you know, at least for me um, that, you know, it makes me wonder what people really care about or what they don't care about. And that's pretty unfortunate to basically say that like, you know, the way we've been taught and the things that we know about this country, were kind of like a, pretty picture of what it's supposed to be and it's really this is basically if you if you didn't know like it's not that way and that's pretty sad as famously said by thomas fuller hey it is said that the darkest hour of the night comes just before the dawn and you got to hope that's kind of the case in the current state of our nation where hopefully we're kind of going to where it's can't get any worse than this territory and it always can, but again, I'm thinking optimistically here and hoping that, okay, guys, like, you know, five deaths, this ridiculous incident at our nation's capital, the heart of our country, let's regroup, let's get each other's back, let's act as a community, 
And to your point, like you just said, let's start getting positive. Let's start saying like enough is enough as a country. And we just need to get on the same page. We're, we're just too divided right now uh, in, in a whole uh, across the nation. And that's going to take a while to, to heal and to come into fruition as far as people being on the same page. But again, my hope is that maybe things like this have to go this route for that to eventually come, you know, c- come full circle and, and actually happen. So with, with everything that, that did occur uh, last Wednesday, as, as horrible as it was, I'm hoping that be because I mean you know you could see the fallout from it already. Hey, uh, with all these idiots, especially like the ignorant people involved in this, that are like, oh, I'm just gonna you know I'm gonna be in history. I was I was in the quarters and look at my picture up. Well, most of those people, especially the most prominent ones that were obviously in the most photos and things, they have been tracked down and have to face the law now. Many of them being arrested. So uh, it goes back to cliched sayings, but. I can't put it better. You, you reap what you sow. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know how much more you wanted to add to this, the J because obviously, you know, this is kind of our platform here to, to speak on stuff like this. So, um, but you know, just the bottom line when it comes down to it is, you know, it's a sad, sad thing to see. It's frustrating and it's, it's, it pissed you off. I would hope uh, like it did me. Um, and it's, it's something you don't want to see. And to, I guess to turn a phrase, this is just the way I could kind of put a stamp on the whole thing. Uh, play treasonous games, win treasonous prizes. Just is what it is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I just want to surmise it. There, we, we could do a six-hour podcast on this incident uh, of our true feelings and, and stuff. We, we just wanted to kind of, you know, address it here on the show. And, and we don't need to deep too too deep dig too deep into it uh because uh, again it's a very complex situation it's very gray it's not a black and white scenario by any means uh although there are some bottom lines as we've already mentioned but at the end of the day i just hope the best for our country Uh, we say it week in and week out on the show it's one of our sign-offs is for everybody to stay safe stay stay safe and healthy and that didn't happen last week no. So it's a, it's a very sad thing to see. And again, all I can surmise it, it to say is hopefully moving forward, we can be as positive as a country as possible. We can be as good to each other as possible. And, and you just got to hope that as cheesy and corny as it may be, that the good people in this country outweigh the bad. And eventually, like I was saying earlier, incidents like this, we, we kind of had to go that route to, to right the ship and kind of get into a more positive uh, future for everybody involved in our country after something like this. I mean, it's one of the darkest days uh, truly that we've experienced as adults in our lifetime. Well, dude, I was going to say just us personally, both of us in in the 40 year old range here, like that the two things that immediately stick out to me is is this in nine 11, obviously is two major, you know, historical things that basically it felt like time stopped essentially when they happened. And that's the big difference. Hey, not to cut you off, uh, just to throw my point out there is that that was, uh, you know, that wasn't domestic. Let's put it that way. So that's the big difference between these events, but I'm, I'm with you, of course. I mean, talk, talk about dark days. I mean, that's the other one that, that of course would, would stick out there in in our adulthood, uh, as far as major negative things occurring, um, to our country as a whole. So, uh, but like I said, man, you, you know, I'll throw it to you to, to wrap it up. But, uh, but yeah, I thought it was abhorrent. It was terrible. 
Uh, I, I don't think anybody needed to die. We already mentioned it was just unnecessary. And the, the, the most positive spin I could put on this situation is that I'm just hoping that some of the darkest times are behind us and we can begin to heal all together as a country. And we just have to get each other's backs and move forward in the most positive light that we can muster. Yeah. And I, I totally echo those sentiments too. And I, I also think that it's, it's time that uh, we all accept a little bit of accountability in the fact that there is too much uh, nonsensical news that goes around in all facets these days. Um, And I'm talking everything from what you see on cable and network TV to conspiracy theories and and nonsense on the internet. Um, You know, there needs to be a little bit of critical thinking on all of our parts when it comes to things, of course. Um, But there also has to be a sense of reason involved. And, you know, it's just like, you know, you can't sit back and be quiet about it, you know, because then you're kind of complicit whenever things like this happen. And this stuff's been brewing up in this country for a really long time. And it was just kind of left unchecked. And, you know, it would be nice to see something like the Fairness Doctrine brought back where essentially all news uh, that's reported as news uh, needs to be based in fact, because that was in fact something that we had in this country for a really long time. And uh, the fact that that ever changed uh, kind of sent everything into a tailspin as far as I'm concerned, but uh, so be it. Uh, also to moving uh, right along here on the show, uh, before we get into it, a few more sad notes uh, before we get started. And this one, I guess we could chalk up to being off for, for a couple of weeks uh, without uh, our main section here. Uh, but obviously, the What's Real podcast would like to send out uh, our rest in pieces this week to uh, Tanya Roberts, uh, actress, uh, obviously from, uh, you know, famous Bond girl and from that 70s show. Uh, rest in peace to the bus driver, Tim Lester, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, former fullback. Um, and obviously, uh, and this one uh, we can save a little bit more for next week because it's going to be kind of like a tribute in sorts and a rest in peace to Julie Strain. Uh, which is weird, too, because uh, bringing up her and Tanya Roberts at the same time, both of them had something very similar happen, uh, even though Julie Strains was about a year ago that she had passed when she didn't, just like there had been, uh, you know, early reports that Tanya Roberts had passed away before she had. So that's kind of a strange coincidence of sorts. My sentiments go out exactly with you. Hey, you know, rest in peace to to all three. As you mentioned, kind of a... Uh, a bit of a celebration of the life of Julie Strain uh, next week on Thursday Night Prime. So shout out to her there and, and, and her life. And uh, of course, I got a shout out to Tanya Roberts for myself, specifically with one of my campy favorites growing up, of course, Don Cascarelli's Beastmaster. Oh, yeah. Uh, that she was in. That always stuck in my head because that was one of my favorites as a kid. And, um, you know, she's beautiful. A woman and, uh, you know, led a pretty full life, uh, dying a, a little bit young, all things considered nowadays, but, uh, nonetheless, yeah, weird, weird coincidence between the two, but nonetheless, uh, both have passed at this point. And, and of course, uh, always a connection with Pittsburgh Steelers that pass, uh, here to steel city boys for life. So, uh, rest in power, as I say here on the podcast to, to all three. And, uh, of course, uh, I totally agree with those sentiments as well. Um, and man, uh, the more episodes we do with the show, it seems like there's just more and more of those included. And it's, uh, it's naturally, it's just a bummer. It is, man. So, 
um, into the more fun aspects of things, thankfully, here. Uh, so let's get into that. Uh, just last night, uh, as you guys know, we record the show on a Tuesday. We saw Alabama win the national championship against Ohio State in a route. Um, I literally did not watch any of this. Um, I was planning on watching it, but I was just completely wiped out last night. But, man, I, I said Alabama was going to win this one uh, in a route, and that's exactly what they did. And, I mean, dude, I, I believe this. This year's it's kind of undershadowed a bit because of the coronavirus and the way the college football season was. But this year's Alabama team is legitimately one of the greatest college football te- single-season teams I've maybe ever seen. I was in the same boat as you. Hey, you know, I meant to put it on. It was uh, an impromptu family movie night. Uh, my wife and I watched the movie with the kids, which I, of course, as usual, especially on a Monday night after you know, 10, 12 hours straight, passed out halfway through and woke up to everything. Uh, but local uh, sports figure that we follow, Mark Madden, I kind of saw his thoughts on it. And he kind of uh, agreed with you. Hey, you know, he was like, this, this was hands down one of the best college football teams in a long time and nobody else this year had a chance. Nope. So it wasn't, wasn't very surprising re- results with a 52 24 win over Ohio state. And of course, uh, Nick Saban, the great college football coach breaking the record for most career national championships. So not the biggest Nick Saban guy personally, but uh, I give credit where it's due. So kudos to him for single being the single handed record holder of national championship wins. And, you know, that's another thing too, that I will give Alabama credit for. Not only do year after year, do they always have a really good program, but they also turn out some of the best pros because, uh, I mean, just for an example, you know, Derrick Henry went there and this dude ran for 2000 yards in current day NFL, uh, the fifth greatest rushing season in NFL history. And that's an Alabama boy right there. So uh, they always got a good team and they always turn out some like really good NFL players year after year. So, you know, you got to tip your hat to that team because they're, they're a major feeding. It's like the NFL's breeding ground, just one college football team. We'll get into it in the NFL talk, hey, you know, but send some of those boys to Pittsburgh, right? <laughs> Ain't that the fucking truth? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, there's a ton of NFL stuff. Uh, just a couple things to highlight here before we even get into the football talk and some of the other stuff that we have. But Eagles have fired Doug Peterson. Uh, I don't know about you, the Jay, but did that come to much of a surprise to you or were you kind of shocked? Huge surprise. He, he just won a Super Bowl three years ago. And they didn't have the year that they would expect, but there were certain aspects that that weren't specific to coaching. I felt from from covering the NFL as we do, you know, pretty pretty hands on. So to me, it was it was a big surprise. Uh, you know, we have a coach that's been here for a long tenure, and again, we could get into specifics on that. Yep. Uh, but his Which postseason record, yeah, compared to something like this, uh, but that was the biggest thing. Uh, let me just go there. Hey, you know, with the you know th- only three years removed from a, a Super Bowl title, which uh, let's let's add was very unexpected that year. You know, it was kind of yep. over improving, and um, you know, you throw in the the situation they had a quarterback uh, that would be tough for any coach. Dude, so, I, so yeah, big surprise to me. I think the quarterback situation is the reason why Doug Peterson is gone. Um, I think that there was a lot of like I heard somebody explain it this way where that remember the last game wherever they kind of put in the third string quarterback and he got a ton of flack for it. Rightfully exactly. so. Um, but they said that that was him being kind of defiant on purpose towards the ownership where uh, the ownership was pressuring him to play Jalen Hurts. And he wanted to play Carson Wentz and, you know, they were giving him problems about it. So he then 
went with the option D kind of a situation here where he played the backup. And I think that might've played a little bit into it as well. But I mean, the bottom line is he's going to have another job really quick. Um, so I don't think that's much of an issue, but I do think the kind of situation they're in there uh, with the Eagles um, is it's probably a good situation for Doug Peterson to probably get out of. Cause that, that franchise is super messy right now. And uh, you know, they're even talking about potentially getting Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma uh, as their, their replacement for him. So it's clear that the team has kind of moved on and everything, but they're, you know, whenever you're getting into something like bringing in Lincoln Riley, which is another major name, you're basically talking about maybe other than Carson Wentz and Fletcher Cox and like some of the more established guys, you're probably going to gut the team. That's the problem is, is the, the team's kind of in disarray and any head coach again is going to have trouble there, but you know, there's a, there's a lot of behind the scenes things. There's all the rumors that Peterson, you know, eventually kind of um, started having a fractured relationship with Carson Wentz, of course. And for, from this, you know, the look at this, it looks like um, Philadelphia Eagles owner, Lori is siding with Carson Wentz um, yep. who's been asking for a trade. So maybe he wants to, to nix, Wentz wanting a trade and that getting rid of Peterson will keep Wentz there or something like that. So, you know, th- there's a lot of moving parts and in, involved in a sports franchise, of course. But uh, again, I, I have a lot of friends from the Philly area uh, that I, you know, due to attending Penn State for my alma mater in college. And a lot of them on social media just despise it. I didn't see one one of my Philly friends that, that thought that it was any sort of a positive move. So uh, there's that for you too. Hey, well, I think a lot of people want the general manager out there and uh, I totally understand why, because he hasn't really done a lot to improve the team. He's done a lot of weird stuff. Um, but the bottom line is, and I think this is the situation that, that they're really in here that people don't seem to be talking about. You could fire the coach all you want, but the problem that your team has is you have a quarterback that's on a four-year, $128 million contract, and he's not playing up to par whatsoever. So good luck trying to go out and get pieces to help him when your team's already kind of a salary cap mess to begin with. And I think that's what they're dealing with here. And whether they want to keep him or not, it's probably in the team's best interest to kind of just move him along if they can uh, just to kind of get rid of the salary. Right. Yeah. We spoke in, in past podcasting regarding Carson Wentz and where we might see him as a, a fit. And we both said like we off the top of our heads with pretty significant current NFL knowledge that, you know, there's a maybe couple random teams, but no contenders or anything like that. So it's kind of like, where else are you going to go, Carson? Yeah. And I mean, that just, dude, this is just kind of how I see him uh, right now. Um, I kind of see him at his best being kind of like a Kirk Cousins, more of like a few year journeyman, kind of a stopgap for teams like, you know, uh, I'll just use us as an example. But like, say, a Ben would retire. That's the kind of guy you bring in for a year or two while you're kind of cultivating a dude that you just drafted uh, for maybe a season or something like that. But that's really what he is to me. And I mean, when you carry a forty two million dollar per year salary like good luck because that's a severe issue no matter what yeah i mean we gotta see i don't know i just think that uh it was a situation like we said where there was some underlying drama behind the scenes and that kind of caused peterson's release i don't think it specifically had to do with peterson's performance as a head coach this year there was way too many other things going on than just the head coach by any stretch yeah i would agree with that too um and this is a first, uh, not just for the podcast, but maybe here for my my entire life, 
um, to say something positive about this man, um, but I'm going to. Um, This is from ESPN.com. New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick said Monday he will not move forward with the Presidential Medal of Freedom that Donald Trump planned on presenting to him on Thursday. He said, quote, recently I was offered the opportunity to receive the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which I was flattered by out of respect for what... uh, for what the honor represents and admiration for prior recipients. Subsequently, the tragic events of last week occurred and the decision has been made uh, not to move forward with the award. Above all, I am an American citizen with great reverence for our nation's values, freedom, and democracy. I know I also represent my family and the New England Patriots team. One of the most rewarding things in my professional career took place in 2020 uh, when through the great leadership within our team, conversations about social justice, equality, and human rights moved to the forefront and became actions. Continuing those efforts while remaining true to the people, team, and country I love outweigh the benefits of any individual award, unquote. Uh, dude, that's that's legit. Um, as much as I have a problem with the guy in the world of football, that's like a legitimately decent human move by him. And uh, obviously, I understand, too, that that's also kind of a thing that might really mess up his career, too, and in, in his potential earnings. Um, but I feel that that was kind of the right way of addressing that. And, uh, you know, kudos to him for doing it. This is definitely an all differences aside situation. As we get <laughs> yeah. to Pittsburgh boys with Belichick. But that, that's where I draw the line, man. I, we always said, I, I don't talk uh, referencing myself personally, in my opinion, I, I never, I, I was never one of those sports fans and I'm a fun, fanatic sports fan since I was a kid, but I was never one of those ones that would lose sleep over sports. And, you know, like there was that guy that broke his TV over the Steeler loss this week, for example, oh, and things man. like that. Again, we'll, we'll get into stuff like that uh, in the NFL segment or whatever, but not, nonetheless, I just bring it up because um, I could put those differences aside easily. It's like, I hate on Belichick so much because we just have that dire hate of new England here in Pittsburgh, but that's just sports team. And, and I will say it's, it's all in jest overall for me. You know, honestly, again, I don't take it over seriously. All, all that said, I, I agree with you completely. Hey, Ed, kudos to to Bill Belichick to to turn down a, a deserved honor and a big honor like this. But all things considered, with everything going on, as we already thoroughly expressed in our opening segment to to start the show here re- regarding everything that went down at the Capitol, uh, very smart move, and um, you know, standing ovation for Belichick, which I never thought I would say with his decision here. Yep, totally agree. Uh, One other football note here before we finish up our segment here and move on to a few other things uh, before we take a quick commercial break. Um, The Steelers schedule is not out yet, but their opponent list is. Okay, so we are fast forwarding here a little bit, looking forward to next season for good reason. Uh, The 2021 regular season opponents for the Pittsburgh Steelers are the Baltimore Ravens, Bengals and Browns, just like they play them twice every year. Also on the schedule includes the Buffalo Bills, Chicago Bears, Denver Broncos, Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers, Kansas City Chiefs, Las Vegas Raiders, Los Angeles Chargers, Minnesota Vikings, and the Tennessee Titans. And if I was a bet man, the Jay, just to throw this out there, I'm willing to bet that that Detroit Lions game is going to be Thanksgiving Day. I would guess that as well. And looking at this, just opponent-wise, hey, you all the, the road games are pretty damn tough this year. Baltimore, 
Cincinnati and Cleveland, Buffalo, Green Bay, Kansas City, <laughs> the Chargers and Vikings, maybe not as bad, but uh, a good portion of those are some pretty tough road games. Yeah, it could be a real nasty season, depending on how everything shakes out. Uh, we'll, as we keep saying here, we'll get into that in the next segment. Um, and also, just to end here real quick on the sports talk, the Jay, I do have a question for you that uh, somebody brought up to me recently, and I thought it was kind of a cool thing that might be uh, good for the podcast. But uh, they were talking about players like in your lifetime, there were automatic stop and watch kind of guys like you might not be a fan of their team or you might not even care about their sport that much, uh, which kind of coincides to me with something we're going to talk about on this show, too, because he's one of mine. um, And that's Tiger Woods. Like, I don't really care about golf at all, but I was always I I paid a lot of attention to, to Tiger Woods when he was an athlete and golfing much more regularly than he is today. Um, but I thought it was an interesting question. So like, who were your like stop and watch guys like through your lifetime that you can remember? And like, give me one current one, like somebody that like anytime they're on, it's like, I'm watching this. I kind of have to. Yeah, for sure. So, so Tiger Woods is a perfect example just because of golf. And, you know, we were guys that liked the, the physical sports and combat sports and even, you know, throwing pro wrestling in the mix. And of course, uh, I always say I've been an NFL fan since I was four. That was like my first first sport love was was professional football. And, and even I, I was a big soccer guy. So, of course, I watched the World Cup every year and things like that. So with golf, you know, to stop and watch, that's a that's a prime example um, to, to the modern day answer to that. Hey, Eel, is is uh, going back to the NFL for the J and that's with DK Metcalf. Oh, I just okay. love trying to catch his play because I, you know, my favorite position was a re- was wide receiver okay. uh, playing it a little bit back in the day. And just, that was, you know, I just have that connection to that specific position yep. and he is just a, such a modern prototype. Like with pro sports, you know, it is like, there's a guy like Megatron, for example, and you're like, nobody's going to get bigger and better than this. Like, how can you? And yep. then somebody like DK Metcalf <laughs> comes along. And uh, so, so he always stood out, you know, when, when it's on the red zone and stuff, that was my biggest appeal to, to the Seahawks, you know, just to, to watch if, if Metcalf has a highlight and things. So, so that answers that. And, and then, um, you know, throughout growing up, uh, I was never the biggest baseball guys guy. Like for me, baseball as a kid was one of those ones that I like to play more than I like to watch the sport. Okay. And with the the success of the Pirates in the 90s, that brought it in. Okay. But to answer your question specifically, that is why I always state that highlights in the connection to Pittsburgh of Roberto Clemente was always one of my favorite baseball players of all time. I was sort of precursor with that. But in hand with that for myself personally was Ken Griffey Jr., yeah, and that's one for that me. That made too. me fall in love with uh, like the Mariners and fall in the franchise. Was just he like sucked me in. So Ken Ken Griffey was one just you know the known to have the quote unquote perfect swing and you know him in his prime was just great. So so that's another one just off the top of my head that stands out. So I'll throw throw it back at you. Hey, you know, other than Tiger, uh, throw out a, a modern guy and, and maybe some other tidbits. Uh, the modern dudes right now is I'll just go to the NFL like you did. And Mahomes is probably my number one. Like that's a dude that any chance I get to see him, uh, whether it's me wanting them to win, lose or whatever, like it's always fun to watch him play. Uh, of course, I feel like LeBron's kind of like that. Uh, maybe not so much anymore, but like I kind of feel like since we're at the tail end with him that I should still be paying attention because it's, you know, like like we always said about like John Cena, like you're going to miss him when he's gone kind of a thing. Uh, of course, Michael Jordan's the dude to me like that. 
uh, whenever you talk about like a can't miss kind of guy, like Jordan was the, he, he might've been like my first guy in my life that was like that to me. Um, Griffey was up there uh, for sure. Um, I kind of felt that way when I was younger with Mario Lemieux. Uh, you know, like you knew you were witnessing greatness kind of a thing. So you, you paid attention to it. Um, so yeah, those are probably, and of course, Jerry Rice, I always felt that way about, uh, like, you know, even when I was young and I was never a 49ers fan, it was just, he was always incredible. So, you know, and, and of course throw in Tyson. Hey, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. That's, we, did, we did not want to miss the Tyson fight back in the You prime. know what, dude, you can say what you want about a lot of these guys, but let's be perfectly honest. Like the real, like triad of these guys of when we're talking about like, can't miss athletes to me. It's Jordan, it's Tyson, it's Tiger Woods. And then if you needed like a backup from, and it's, and the only reason he's even a backup, he would be on this list if he didn't get hurt. But Bo Jackson was like that. If he would have had his career, dude, dude, he barely played like, and I'm talking about back you, cause you remember this. Like I do, Bo wasn't just like to watch him play football either. Like it was, you watched him play baseball or football. It didn't matter. Cause he was that kind of an athlete. You're like, yo, any chance I get to watch this dude, I'm going to watch him play whatever he's fucking playing. To go hand in hand with that duo athlete, I always liked uh, Dion too. You know, think back at his prime, you know, yeah. like with kick returns, punt returns. And I loved day, it. You know? I, I, when he played for the Braves, I loved that Braves team. If you remember, like I was a huge fan of the Braves back then when they had, you know, all the pitchers like Maddox and Glavin and all those dudes. That was my team. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, but I figured that was fun. You know what I mean? I, I figured it would add for something. Yeah, that's another uh, one. We could go on and on if we really want. But, yeah, that's that was cool. Now, another thing, and I was biting here to, to talk about this because I felt like in the last couple of months, especially because the way the weather's been where we live and everything, there hasn't been a whole lot of sneaker talk on the show. And this is definitely something that even off the air, me and you talk about, like, all the time. Um, but in the world of Nike dunks, there's been a ton of movement. And of course there was a 2021 preview, uh, that was announced that we could talk about in a moment, but I wanted to get your opinion on something else. We talked about this recently. Nike is known for something called Nike by you, but it's known basically for the way it used to be. And it was called Nike ID. And it was, they would offer you a specific shoe that they make. And you could go in and make a custom pair for yourself. And they did limit what you can do, but you can change colors and, you know, kind of make a almost a one-of-one shoe for yourself. Uh, or at least one that you're not going to run into somebody that has the same one as you. And uh, they decided to do this for the Nike Dunk. And people have been going crazy for it. Well, they kind of just popped them out one day, not on the sneakers app either. This was on Nike.com. And they sold out in less than a minute and people, including me, were pissed. Um, you you kind of figured that the reason why they, because this is, we, we, we talked about this when this first got brought up. It was cool because it was kind of like there was going to be availability for the dunks. Like you could go on and get yourself a fucking pair of dunks if you wanted to. Um, but it ended up selling out like a, a hype release and that's super disappointing for a lot of people, me included, because I was planning on maybe getting like a few pairs of these. Yeah, we've ranted and raved about the sneakers out. And many people do if you go online. And it just goes back to to the money grab, man. We, we've said a million times, the best way to put it is you can go up to Nike like, hey, Nike, I have $350 I'm willing to buy these shoes for. And they're like, no, we're good. Yeah. 
they just don't give a shit. We don't need it, you know, because as we said, I mean, there's there's more to it. Of course, the the advertising marketing aspect of it, the, the more you make something, uh, you know, basic economics, supply and demand, the more you make something a limited edition, that's what the people are going to want. They're not going to want some commonplace thing. Yep. And you, you have to go about your releases like that to, to create that. Mm-hmm. So I understand the game, but this in particular situation is you, you're, as you're referring to specifically with the dunks and, and how it seemed like they were going to roll out. It was complete bullshit. I totally agree. And it's, it's just kind of more fuckery that you kind of expect from Nike. Uh, but you know, I digress cause we could kind of complain about this all day, but did you well, get- real quick? Oh, sure. Yeah. My bad. Cause I just stumbled upon this when you sent me the, uh, the reference for the Nike dunks. Okay. I didn't see anything about the air Jordan 35 Titans. I don't think I did either. So these are sick dude. Um, so it's saying that, the Air Jordan 35s were both designed to bridge the world of in-game technology and thoughtful material use in a basketball shoe. And now both silhouettes are releasing in special editions from Manila retailer Titan, which has been the conduit to Filipino basketball culture for a decade. Okay, I'm so looking at them now. These are some real, um, you know, probably tough to get shoes, but just uh, stumbling upon these uh. in, in some sneaker talk, figured I'd throw them at you. Um, not the prettiest, but I kind of like the ones with like the lightning bolts. See that one. I'm not, I'm seeing the one that's black and red within it. I don't like that. I don't like those at all. Um, is the other pair like, they kind of remind me of like the, the, those are the 23s. Those, so those aren't the 35s then. So, okay. Let me nope. see. That, those, so that's the, the, the Titans chose, the Titans chose to reinterpret the Air Jordan 23s and the Air Jordan 35s. So, um, yeah, you, you saw the 35s. If you can, check out the 23s. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that's what I was going to say. Those ones kind of remind me, and the, the name's escaping me at the moment, but uh, those, the Yeezy basketballs, like the, you know, like, is it like Infinium's or Infinium? Yep. Like, you and know, those do kind of look like those. It, 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 that's, it looks like that was like an inspired design. I'm not saying that's the case, but like, that's definitely the vibe that those give me. Yeah, but yeah, pretty, pretty cool to stumble upon. I like those and. It's just another pair to add to the list of ones that I can't get. Hey, exactly. Now, I don't know. I wasn't going to do this until I just started looking real quick when we were talking um, because there's not too many. That's why I figured. Did you get a chance to look at the dunks like the the upcoming 2021 ones? I was looking through them. Yeah. Okay. so let's just go through them. Right. Because there's only like a handful of pairs. So the first pair on here is basically UNC colored ones. They're white. And then obviously the, the North Carolina blue. Uh, on the uppers and everything uh, and their lows, which are dope. Um, I like these a lot, but I probably wouldn't buy them because I just don't have a lot of stuff in the collection that really jives with the, uh, the North Carolina blue stuff. No, I mentioned to you, man, I'm trying to be very disciplined in 2021. I'm still looking to cop some sneaks throughout the year. That's what we do, but I'm trying to be, and that's, that's why I emphasize that. Hey, you know, trying to be, cause you know, well, yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. I'll hit you up. Like, dude, I bought three pairs like last, last week. But yeah, I'm trying to be more stringent on the ones I want, like to just go for the absolute musts yep. for myself personally. And, and with you, there, there honestly wasn't too many that stood out that I would absolutely go for in the dunk releases that I was researching. Dude, I'll tell you what, though. Did you see the black and blue ones? Let me see, because I have the thing pulled up. It's They have like even 
color or they have like the inside there the inside has the nike symbol and like orange uh, i got them those are yeah, sick those are they kind of remind me yeah. of the uh the, like if they made a low version of the the jordan one royals you know what i'm saying even though they're yeah. dunks uh of course the red and gray pair is sick too like i would definitely fuck I even with just those. like the you know me i'm a black and white guy i like the black Dude, and white i would get those too the only ones i'll be honest with you the only ones on here that are a definite no i mean i'd be lucky to be able to score any of these but like if i had a chance to get every pair here the only ones i wouldn't even bother on would be like those pinkish and those i even kind of like it's just i just don't like there's i'm not buying a bunch of pink shit i don't need it in my and it's not bright pink it's like a faded pink so it's not yeah, it's, a, it's not yeah, obnoxious it's and i don't care really for the highs in the dunk but the lows all day uh those orange ones are cool the highs but i'm not fucking with the highs um but that's pretty much it like i do those blue and black ones though if i can get a hold of those i'd be i'd be set did you see the dunk low street hawkers that one the name doesn't ring a bell let me see if i can look them up real quick you yeah, like they them. were designed by they're different. That's why I wanted to get your take on them. Um, they're kind of like art artist, very artistic. Uh, okay. It's almost like pastels if, on them. They're all different colors. I want to say that this is a pack that's not out yet. And I don't know if you noticed this or not. I, I want to say this is the case. These are a mismatched pair. So, yep. Okay. That's the case. Um, yeah. They break down the left shoe and the right shoe being different. Okay. So I'm looking at both of these right now. The, the orange ones are kind of dope. Like I like those. I got a hoodie too, that would match with those. It would look sick. Um, the other ones, the, the one that's more, it has like more pastel colors and like some Brown on it. That's just not my vibe. So yeah, it's I, neither of them are for me. I would skip those because I, that's one thing I just don't do personally. I'm never going to do mismatched shoes. It's just not, I'm, I'm 40 years old. So I, I kind of look like a fucking doofus doing shit like that. So I'll pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But dude, same with the J, but yeah, very unique sneak. As you figure, you know, it's not like either one of us would have doubted this coming into 2021, but like Nike loading up already, man. Cause, and I'm sure we'll get into it as our episodes proceed throughout the season. But like, dude, Nike's gonna be coming out with some absolute murderous shit. So it's gonna be ridiculous, twenty twenty one. Never gonna stop, hate you. It's just never gonna stop. And neither are we, uh, either. So of course, uh, a couple more things to go over before we take our break. Uh, something that we've been talking about seemingly a lot on here is Arnold Schwarzenegger reportedly signs on for another Terminator. Um, as you know, he doesn't really do the sequel thing a lot. Um, but they've had some some movements after Dark Fate, which I don't even know if I told you I ended up watching that uh, maybe like a month ago or so. And it was yeah, we talked about not it. bad, you know, nonetheless. Um, but I, they also said, too, that like a lot of this stuff's been hanging in development because they're trying to get Schwarzenegger and stuff. And clearly everybody knows that, uh, you know, Schwarzenegger doesn't work cheap. He doesn't really like to do sequels and he's getting up there in age. So, uh, but they basically said that they expect him to be involved in some capacity. So that's cool. But even, you know, the way they, that they used him in like dark fate kind of a thing, that's kind of what I expect. So as long as the movie's good, I don't really care uh, if they want to put him in it or not. I'm fine with it either way. Um, he always has a place in those movies to me, so I'm fine with that, but it'll be interesting to see if they can actually pull it off or not. It's just another one that goes into me just having the rest on my laurels. Hey, you know, of just wanting original stuff anymore because it's just getting harder to come by. And I just, 
how how many different Terminator stories can you tell? You know, and I'm That's with you. True. If it's good, you know, Dark Dark Fate was all right, wasn't bad, but I'm just getting to the point, and I don't know how Schwarzenegger feels. I mean, if they, they send them boatloads of money, you know, that sways anybody. Uh, as we always say, how much money do you really need? I mean, Schwarzenegger is going to die with enough to feed a country. But <laughs> nonetheless, like, you know, money talks. But uh, again, if they come up with an original kind of take on the, the whole mythos and things, Dark Fate somewhat did that. And, and again, was an entertaining film. But it didn't it didn't break the mold by any means. Agreed. And and again, it's just it's just getting to these franchises that are just going and going and going. And and growing up in the eighties and nineties, we used to laugh, even even being big proponents of franchises, especially specifically talking about horror franchises like Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the thirteenth. you know, as much as we love them, we would joke like, dude, it's Friday the thirteenth, tens coming out, like Jesus. And now before you know it, all these other franchises it's like how many terminators are there yeah they've like there's eight like how many predators are there it's like you know things are getting like well past the the five sequel range here and it to me it's just and 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 i'm very hypocritical because i watch all of them you know but but nonetheless uh i just feel like with as you mentioned man schwarzenegger is getting towards the end of his career it'd be cool for him to you know which he has done he has gone into to kind of different you know, he's taken some risks with different, some different movies that I've, I've watched. So, um, you know, all things said, it's very dependent on the story and the route they're taking and how they're telling yet another Terminator movie. That's really what it comes down to. Totally agree, man. So we'll have to see. And obviously we'll keep you guys up to date because that's just what we've been doing here on the show. So as the weeks roll by, basically. So we are going to take a quick commercial break now. Stick around during the commercials because we have a huge announcement for February that you guys are going to hear during uh, this commercial break. So, And when we come back, of course, we're going to talk all things NFL. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Coming in February to the What's Real Podcast, it's the month of the dragon. That's right, the dragon Bruce Lee, the month of February. We here at the What's Real Podcast salute Bruce Lee. We're going to talk about his best films. Actually, we're going to talk about all of them, complete with documentaries and more. All that in the month of February here on the What's Real Podcast, the month of the dragon. And we're back here on the podcast, and let's just get into it, guys, because we have the most epic of epic NFL segments for you guys here. As we said previously, uh, that we will be doing our final power rankings for the season. Keep in mind, this is before the playoffs started, uh, and then we're going to talk about the playoffs and stuff after we get into that. What's real NFL power rankings 2020? So the J, for the last time this season, did they manage to stay out of the last place on your, your power rankings? And you know what city I'm talking about. I did, and they have been out of my last hate you know, with the Jays' opinion. But I have my repeat offenders of the last two weeks. So this is their third time in very last place. And as is tradition, especially on the last power rankings official of uh, what's real here in season two for NFL's 2020 season, Harold. Oh, Harold's still, dude, is the band still here? 
the band is still here. The punk dude, band from the okay. subways of New York and I don't heroin dude, in a okay. symphony. We got to talk about this real quick. Cause like you do realize that like after this week, they got to get the fuck out of here. They're taking up too much. Dude, they keep eating all the shit in the fridge. Oh, Katie was going to kill me. She said, this is it. So it's good timing. Hey, yo. Cause that's what I told her. I was like, hon, there's only one more week. She has like gray hair now. She looks like, I'm, um, she was dude, uh, in the first nightmare on Elm street. I've enjoyed these guys, but like, I kind of fucking want them to get out of here at this point. I'm sick of these dudes. I know. And, and Harry's very gassy. So the smell, I was going to say the fucking smell. I thought it was just me. Let, let, them, let them do their thing. Hey, you know, all right. For all right. Their, what's Let's, real power rankings? Get it on guys. Okay. Here, tune up the band. <clears throat> Jacksonville. Suck ass. The Jacksonville Jaguars or the Jays 32. Hey, yo, I'm assuming you got those NYJs. Nope. I have the Jaguars at 32, but I do Ooh. have the Jets at 31. Nice. Um, I did the same thing. I just kept them consistently there. Jacksonville took over. Uh, they kind of, you know, get the, the positive spin of the two teams. As we said, the Jets are idiots. And Jacksonville gets that elusive number one overall pick in the draft. So at least they have something positive, uh, unlike New York, which the second pick's not the worst thing. But nonetheless, they they blew that. Uh, question for you here, too, because it's probably the last time we're going to talk about them for the year. Uh, do you think next year, whenever we're talking about this Jacksonville team, that we're going to be talking about them as the team coached by Urban Meyer? Good question. That's that's a very good question. Um, just off the top of my head, initial research, hey, you know, all I have to say and cop out is I have no idea. Yeah, I I think it's possible. I just don't think so, though. I think at the end of the day, there's going to be a lot of talk and shit like that. Um, I just don't think they're going to do it. I, th- I think there's too many other good candidates and people out there that they would probably want to bring in. Uh, you might even see Doug Peterson come in there. Um, I heard already, too, that uh, the Jets have interest in him. Um, I just don't, I see them going with somebody with some NFL experience because after so many bad seasons there in a row at this point and kind of like fire sailing their team, you know, they got to get some stability. And I don't think hiring a, a first time NFL coach who has been very successful in college nonetheless is really the right way of going about it. Do you think that the, uh, the owners of the Jaguars, the cons were too distracted building AEW they fell, <laughs> fell in the last place in the fucking NFL? Uh, no, I don't. I just think that that's a, uh, poorly, a poorly run franchise. Nonetheless, it's just one of those things. So it is nice to see that early on here, at least, at least they're running AEW better than they do the Jaguars. That's for sure. At least they, at least they got one thing going for you. I don't know how they're doing over in in uh, Europe either with their, their European football teams, but the Jacksonville Jaguars are dead last. And both of us with Harold and the punk band thrown in there, how they suck ass. Dead last at 32 with the Jets at a 31. So move oh, on and, uh, pay you. And thank you to the conductor. It's been, he's been great. I have, yeah. you know, the conductor. So what's his, what the hell is that guy's name? Harold. And I didn't get his last name. Okay. That's what I, okay. I just, everybody's calling him Harry, Harry. I don't know what the fuck that, whatever. Uh, 30 this week. I have the Houston Texans and that dumpster fire of a franchise. This is where I dropped the Lions followed by the Texans just to go how we've been doing that. Hey, yo. Okay. I have the Falcons coming in at 29. Uh, I just think, I I don't even think it's been like a terribly run team. I just think it's time for them to tear it down and rebuild. Okay. 28. I have the Bengals. So do I. 
pretty uh, pretty evident why too, because we see them twice a year every year here. They're just uh, not a good team. They are rebuilding, and the future looks bright with Joe Burrow. I will say that. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see his physical therapy and when he comes back. Of course, that's the big the big thing in Cincinnati. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I'll just uh, I'll just mention my number twenty seven because you already named them. That's where I have the five and eleven Detroit Lions. No, my bad. Hey, I was at twenty eight too. We're caught up. So twenty seven for the J is the as I've called them inexplicably all year, the Denver Bronx at twenty seven for the J. And at twenty six this week is where I have the Philadelphia Eagles. That's where I dropped the <laughs> sixty nine six and nine New England Patriots. Hey yo, wow, really. Ooh. I think I think they are headed into uncharted territory for a New England Patriot team. Unfortunately, we'll get into it. Steelers aren't far behind them, so I can't last yeah. too long there. But uh, it's just like Cam Newton struggled a lot. Um, th- there was times where I thought the the, the coaching prowess alone. Uh, again, I would joke that it was PTSD from being a Steelers fan with with Belichick. But just uh, at the end of the year here, man, seeing where that team lies. Uh, I think they're they're in the dumps, but it's where I see him at the end of the year here. I got him down all the way to 26, man. Okay. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit of uh, something about them whenever they pop up on my list uh, that I wanted to mention. Um, at 25 this week, that's where I have the Denver Broncos coming in. Okay, that's where I place the New York Giants. At 24 for the end of the 2020 seasons, where I have the Carolina Panthers. This is where I placed, as we've talked thoroughly, the struggling Philadelphia Eagles. At 23, I have their division compadre, Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that's where I put the Vikings in the Michael Jordan number. 22 is also another NFC lease team. They almost won the division, but thanks to Philly, they didn't. That's the New York Giants. 22, I went with the struggling that had potential team, the Carolina Panthers. 21 for the end of the season, I have the San Francisco 49ers just completely riddled with injuries this season. Me too, hey, yep. 20 this week for the end of the season, I have the Minnesota Vikings kind of underachieving the season. A little higher than you, that's where I placed the Falcons rounding out the 20, going into the top 20. At 19 is where I have the New England Patriots. Um, I don't disagree with you that, it, that you know they're trending downward, but I will say this. Uh, they had no right to win as many games as they did this season. Um, they got a lot more out of that team than they probably should have uh, for better or worse. So I have them in, at 19. And unfortunately, it seems like they're going to ball fortunate for for us uh, that they're trending downward. With you on that, hey, you on at 19, I have another hated opponent of ours throughout the years, the Dallas Cowboys. Yep. At 18 this week or and for the end of the season, I have the team of the Los Angeles Chargers who finished up pretty strong, surprisingly. Yeah, that's why I have them a bit higher, actually. So good point there. Thinking like the J. Um, at where are we? Sorry, eighteen, eighteen, eighteen. I have the Las Vegas Raiders, who had you know seemed they're another team. Seemed like they had potential here and there, but overall, in the way they finished the year, I have them all the way down here at one eight. At seventeen, and this is very disappointing because at one point this season I had them in the top ten. This is where I have the Arizona Cardinals finishing up at eight and eight on the season. Wow. Uh, this is where I place the Chargers. Hey, yo. At 16 for the season, this is where I have the Las Vegas Raiders. Okay. And this is where, um, you know, a team that, that could be strong with a strong front seven, 
But again, just my opinion with the way things uh, closed out the regular season here in the NFL this year, the Washington football team. At 15, I have the Miami Dolphins. Um, Now, Miami was a 10-win team, and I do have teams above them that did not have 10 wins, and the reasoning being those teams made the playoffs. So all top 14 teams for me are playoff teams, and 15 is where I have the Dolphins, which is the the, the best team to me that didn't make the playoffs. And uh, I would have probably rather seen them in there than a couple other teams this past weekend, but it is what it is. I'm with you. Uh, This is where I placed the Cardinals. Hey, yo. And number 14, for me, we get into the playoff teams. This is where I have the Washington football team. Okay, this is where I put the Chicago Bears. And I have the Bears at 13, making the playoffs as well. 13 is where I put the Los Angeles Rams. 12, I have the Cleveland Browns ending the regular season. Okay, at 12, I have the Miami Dolphins. 11, I have the Indianapolis Colts. I have the Colts at 11. Now for the top 10 teams of the regular season. Number 10 for me is the Los Angeles Rams. Okay, the Jays' number 10 was the Cleveland Browns. Number 9 for me is our division rival, Baltimore Ravens. Number 9 for the Jays is the... Ageless wonder, Tom Brady-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At number eight, a team that I was really high on but just kept crawling down uh, as the season went on. They did battle back after really falling at one point. This is where I have the Seattle Seahawks. Right with you there, hey, yo. And seven for me is where I have the Tampa Bay Bucks. Yeah, that's where I place the Tennessee Titans. And Tennessee is my last team uh, not making it into the top five, uh, so they're number six for me this season. That is where I put Pittsburgh. And as we get into the top five, this is just of the regular season now. And number five is where I have the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's where I put our rival Ravens. Number four for me for the season is none other than the New Orleans Saints in most likely Drew Brees' last season. Right with you there, hey, yo. Number three is the Josh Allen-led Buffalo Bills. Okay, a little different top three here, hey, yo. That's where I put the Packers. And the Packers is who I have at number two. And of course, at number one, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. Right you, right with you with the Bills at my two. And of course, the Chiefs at the number one rank. So as you guys can tell, uh, now this is a, as I said, a ranking of the regular season. So we weren't taking playoffs into consideration. And as you're listening to the show, the playoff games already happened. So I think we can do this truthfully here on the show. And you're going to see that it's truthful whenever we do yeah. it. Uh, about who we picked and who actually won the game. Um, Now, before we get into the Steelers-Browns game, because I feel like that's the one that's going to have the most uh, pontification going on in it, let's start out in the NFC, the J. This is the game that I said there could be an upset, um, but I didn't pick the upset going into the game because of what they did uh, with some of their personnel. And I'm talking about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the Washington football team. It was a pretty good game. We saw the Buccaneers win that game 31 to 23. I would have picked the Buccaneers to win this one. I would have picked Washington, however, if Alex Smith would have started uh, for a potential upset. But once I heard he wasn't playing, I didn't think there was any way that Tampa was going to lose this game. I'm with you there. That was that was the biggest thing going into it. And I, I was completely behind Alex Smith as well because, of course, as we all easily predicted, he won the Comeback Player of the Year award uh, beyond well-deserved. And I mentioned when, when they upset us, uh, he was a big part of me 
kind of taking that easier. Uh, you know, we had 11 straight wins, so I knew we were okay uh, at that point, you know, where we were in the regular season to, to take a loss. Not that it's fun to lose, period, but when you have 11 wins in a row, it wasn't the hardest loss to take. Plus, it was to Alex Smith, who um, to me was a big underdog comeback player to boot. So it was a shame that he couldn't play. I totally agree there. and But you got to give it up, though, man, because his replacement, was basically yeah. a third-string quarterback named Tyler Henneke, and he was 26 for 44 for 306 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and he had six carries for 46 yards and a touchdown. Dude was balling out, and that's why they almost won this game, man. And you got to say, I, I mean, honestly, I might even have been wrong. This dude might have played a better game uh, than what Alex Smith would have done, surprisingly. Um, and the question, obviously, is do you think that he potentially got himself a job next season with Washington or somewhere somewhere else because of this performance? I love seeing it, dude. When stuff comes out, out of nowhere like that, that was great. Uh, especially, of course, look who his counter opponent is. The, the, the goat himself, Tom Brady, you know? Yep. So maybe, maybe that even motivated him. Like, I'm going up against Brady. I'm going balls out, and he sure did. So, yeah, yeah, of course, man. I mean, that was a, a big spotlight to be in uh, to – to gain attention from people. So he definitely got a lot of national attention, played a hell of a game, and he's definitely putting himself in the running to be a possible starting NFL quarterback. Yeah, and you would think that Washington would probably give him a shot next year considering there's so much uncertainty around their quarterback position because Alex Smith most likely will not be returning. I was going to mention that too. Yeah, Um, he's, he's already a good fit there if he keeps it up. Yep. So we'll have to see how that works out for them. But moving right on to the AFC, this was the opening game of the weekend on Saturday afternoon, and boy, was it a good one. We saw the Buffalo Bills win over the Indianapolis Colts 27-24, to man. Indy almost got them. And I'll tell you right now, Buffalo is good, very good, but they're beatable. And this game kind of proved that to me, in my opinion. I agree. It was a great game. I feel for Phillip Rivers. He, he kind of has just those couple of holes that just holds him back from being in the class that he came up with, with Big Ben and, and Brady, of course. Oh, uh, Eli. All those guys. And Eli, you know, all the guys that, that did get their rings um, that, that has eluded him. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, give it to him. He's a competitor. You know, he's crying after the game. He was stating how he really thought this was the year. He really thought that they could up, upset the Bills, and they they came damn close. And like you mentioned, dude, it was a hell of a game. It kicked off Wild Card Weekend in a great way. You know, I was doing chores around the house with that on, and, you know, I, I yelled into my wife, hon, chores are on pause because this game's getting good. Yep. And, and it came down to the end there. Hell of a game. Uh, but, but you know, a, a good test for the Bills. You know, they, they proved they could, they could pull out uh, what, what might have been them getting upset. So uh, that's an aspect uh, going into to next week and in, in the matchup we'll get into. But, but yeah, great game and um, kudos to, to Rivers. Uh, what do you, you know, speaking of all this, hey, yeah, throwing it at you, what, what do you think Rivers' future is? you think he's going to go another year or you think that's it? Uh, I really don't know. Um, I th- and the reason why I say that is because there's a lot of uncertainty amongst quarterbacks in general. There's going to be a lot of availability in the pre or in the postseason for quarterbacks too. Um, I think that he wants to come back right now, um, but I know that he's probably going to take some time. Um, I, you know what? Something kind of tells me no. Um, but you know, you never know. He might be willing to give it one more try. But I think that it, it's either this year or next year. Bottom line. You're not going to see any more. I, I agree because 
post game, Frank Reich, uh, the head coach of the Colts, of course, said following Saturday's loss, he wants 39-year-old Rivers back for the 2021 season. Uh, but as you stated, Rivers, on the other hand, has not made an official decision. So uh, I think he gets one more year in there, though, the just gut feeling. Yeah, it's very possible. And uh, and obviously, too, got to throw this out there, man. Josh Allen, dude's a real deal. He is it's going to be really fun to see him play, uh, you know, whether it's one more game or two or however many more they play, it's going to be fun to see how this dude goes out there and, and just lays it on the line and add, add Stefan Diggs to him. Ball out. Of a combo. All pro too, by the way, that's yeah. well-deserved for best him. Best receiver in the league this year. Yep. Absolutely. I'd say other than, uh, you know, um, uh, Devonte Adams, that's probably the only other guy that I would put above him this season. And Devonte Adams missed a few games and Diggs didn't. So uh, now on to the probably the most coma inducing game of the weekend, the second game on Saturday, which in the NFC saw the Rams defeat the Seattle Seahawks 30 to 20. And as you know, the Jay, this is one I got wrong because you even asked me before the game who I had. And I thought for sure the Seahawks were going to win, especially with Jared Goff not starting. But that didn't last too long as the backup quarterback for the Rams went down. We saw Goff get back in there with a busted up thumb 12 days after having surgery on it and uh, didn't play the whole game, but he played pretty well and obviously well enough to beat uh, Seattle. And man, I'm telling you, one thing that's super evident about the Seahawks to me is their defense is very suspect. And boy, does this team need that crowd. That's why I agreed with you going into the Seahawks probably beating the Rams because you had filled me in. I hadn't heard yet, you know, hadn't sat down and and got all the information. I wasn't even privy to what was going on with Goff. So once you told me that, I'm like, yeah, the the Seahawks are going to, are definitely going to stretch this out and win. And like you said, it was a very sluggish game. Watch the whole thing, which was tough at some point, especially having a cell phone, you know, you end up getting sucked into that phone when a game's like that, you know, but I think I told you, I was just sending you meme after meme, like, you know, when the, the, the NFL, the combination between constant pauses in action and then oh. when the game sluggish, I find myself falling in rabbit holes online, but but I digress. And, dude, it, it kind of bummer to see uh, Russell Wilson have one of the worst games of his career, and that absolutely shocked me because I'm, I'm a huge Russell Wilson fan, and he pretty much does no wrong to me 90% of the time, and it's just unfortunate that one of the games where he did severely play badly, uh, it was in the playoffs, and that's why they're going home. I've said it once. I'll say it. I said it before. I'll probably say it again in our talk. Hey, you know, that's the thing about the, the the most unique thing about the NFL as a sport in comparison to any other sport. Their postseason is one and done. No, no other sports like that. So if, uh, if somebody like Russell Wilson has a bad game, good chance their um, team's going home. And that's what pretty much happened there. Uh, that's it. And uh, also another major game this past weekend. And then another one that I was I was surprisingly wrong on. Uh, saw the Ravens defeat the Tennessee Titans 20-13 to in a game in which Derrick Henry only got 40 yards rushing. Hey, man, kudos to the Baltimore defense because they sure as hell put the stop on them. Uh, so they're going to move on to play the Bills next week. And, um, you know, it was a really hard-hitting game, but it was, to me anyway, because I, I thought that I kind of earmarked Tennessee as the team that that I think could possibly beat Kansas City. Um, but that's not the case. They got bounced. Yeah, it was it was crazy. I think they had that bad taste in their mouth from last year. 
they were super physical, as you mentioned. Their defense just put their foot down. That's the, that's the thing about the Titans. I, I said it in uh, in the pregame. If if you stop Derrick Henry, which is one of those classic things in sports, sometimes it's easy to define a problem, but it's a whole other thing to actually be able to do it. That's right. Uh, so it's you know it's easy to say you know you just got to stop Derrick Henry and you get a good chance of winning. Uh, but they were able to pull that off and they got the win. Yeah, and they, they saw a lot, of, uh, a lot better performance out of their receivers than they've been getting all season. So and Jackson had a great game. Yeah, and of course, you know what I mean? Uh, that dude's really, really good. Um, even though I think teams, a lot of teams haven't figured out. It, it's well, like you thing. said they to were, Jay, you got it figured out, but can you stop him? That, that's the thing. They, were, they had him figured out to make him throw those outside balls and things like that, and he did it. Yep, he absolutely got it done winning his first playoff game. Um, so that was surprising to me. So that's another one I got wrong. Uh, another one that I got right, however, was the Saints defeating the Bears 21-19 in the very first ever Super Wild Card Weekend Nickelodeon Bowl, if you will, uh, <laughs> as a lot of people were talking about that coverage over the weekend. CGI slime. Hey, that, that, dude, I'll be honest. I thought that was kind of cool. Like if I was a kid, I probably would have loved this stuff. So my kids uh, were watching. I put it on for a little bit. And they actually that's all it takes for kids. Of course. Yeah. You know, you just get some of that stuff. SpongeBob on. on the the field goal, the, yeah. Mesh. <laughs> and I, I and I saw a lot of people complaining about this, but I actually thought it was a good idea. But I also thought it was funny too because people brought up uh, because of Cordero Patterson of the Bears, the uh, Nickelodeon got its very first f bomb because uh, yeah. it was funny because he ca- they called the wrong pl- penalty on the wrong player, and the dude standing next to the refs like the fuck, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like that's hilarious, and I I wasn't how did, even how did they react? I didn't okay, even. I didn't watch yeah, it at the time. It was, <laughs> I was I, say, dude, I did see, cause I was watching on CBS and Tony Romo. That's like, what I was going to say. After the play, he's like, yeah, he's like, Oh, that was actually on number 84, not number 85. And he and said, I, what the heck? He's like, Oh, what the heck? I wasn't me. And I'm like, Tony, he didn't say what the heck, bro. <laughs> yeah. He said, the fuck. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I got to admit in this one, man, uh, the, you know, of all people, Mitchell Trubisky, who takes a lot of shit, um, his, his wide receivers kind of failed him in this game and yeah. that, that, you know, you're not going to beat the saints like that. The saints played pretty well, but you know, the bears defense played well enough to beat them. Uh, and it's just another year of the bears kind of falling short of, of the lofty goals that that city has. There's a lot of comparisons in my opinion, uh, to Chicago and the the city we're from here in Pittsburgh, as far as the expectations on their football team year to year, they're always very high, even though the Bears tend to not really live up to those expectations, especially in comparison to a team like the Steelers. But it just is what it is for the Bears. Another year uh, hitting the drawing board, basically. Yep. And of course, the game we've been waiting to talk about. Uh, here we go. The final AFC game on Sunday night, uh, the Browns, the Cleveland Browns defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers 48 to 37. Now, I know when we normally break down the Steeler game, we go good, the bad and the ugly. Okay, this is just my opinions. You will not hear any good and you will not (laughs) hear any bad from me this week. So I don't know if you have any goods or bad, Jay, but I'm ready to go into those uglies anytime you are. No, the only good was that we kept ourselves in it at certain points. <laughs> so let's yep. Let's so, just go there for that. And when you want to start out in this game, you can, you have to start directly at the first play of the game. 
very first play of the game, first snap. Veteran all-pro center Marquise Pouncey snaps the ball about 10 feet in the air. It goes up. It's bobbled around by Ben and Connor, and it goes into the end zone for a touchdown. And it was at that moment, I think a lot of us as Steeler fans knew that this one was going to be a long evening. Uh, I mean, it's the the memes with Ben's face uh, is exactly how I felt. It was just shock. It was just... You know, when they showed him after, like, it was, you know, the refs throw up their hands signaling touchdown, and they just showed a shot of Ben. And the face that he was making was the same face my ass was making at home. And uh, there wasn't much on the ground. Uh, Connor had about 37 yards. I know Juju had over 100 yards receiving. And, of course, the most misleading stat of all time, uh, which includes an NFL record, 47 completions, an NFL record, for 68 attempts for 501 yards, four touchdowns, and four picks. This is quite possibly the worst 500-yard game I've ever seen in NFL history, unfortunately. That was kind of Ben's MO. Like, he's had games like that in the past, and we've never won those kind of games. Four he has, nine. like, 496 yards. There you go. Four and nine when he's throwing, what? what is 50 it, times or more. Yards? No, when he throws 50, 50 attempts. 50 times or more. Yep. And didn't he have the the record? He came close to the attempt record because the attempt record was sixty nine, but he did get the completion the record. Yep, that's that's a re- so and wrong. that's not even a playoff record. That's but that that shows you that's not how you win. Otherwise. Yeah, you're right. Yep. You're absolutely, and that's right. not how you win. And this is something that uh, is rare for us on here. Um, the defense looked terrible uh, throughout the game as well. Um, you did not hear Cam Hayward's name. You did not hear Stephen Tuitt's name. Uh, T.J. Watt was kept in check. This team did not have a sack. Um, I I don't know how else to put this. Um, I've been watching the Pittsburgh Steelers since probably about 1985, 87-ish, around there. Um, and I don't have any problem saying this. This is the worst playoff loss in the 88-year history of the franchise. Um, there is word that Marquise Pouncey is going to walk away at the end of the season. Um, I think it's time that he does so. Um, sadly, I don't think Ben is done, but I think he's done. I think it's time for Ben to go. Um, and I know this is unfortunate, and I never say this, ever. And you know I don't, the Jay, because we talked about the Steelers significantly for years. All the time, yeah. Um, I, in this game, think that either you must get rid of Mike Tomlin or you tell him, the only reason you're not losing your job this year is because of coronavirus. We will give you another shot next year. If you underperform next year or if anything embarrassing like this happens, we will literally get rid of you in midseason. Bottom the, the, line. The, the, the coaching kind of gets muddy waters when you're criticizing coaching. Sometimes it's obvious. A lot of the times there's a lot of gray areas and different things in, in professional sports when it comes to coaching. This, however, is the pre-forementioned <laughs> version of, of that statement where they came in so unprepared for a game of this magnitude that it wasn't even funny. And that just has to directly go to the head coach. Yeah. And, and I know there's a lot of Steeler fans that probably aren't going to like this, but this is just the situation that they're in right now, unless somebody can work something magical, which I just don't know how that's going to happen. Um, next year is going to kind of be a throwaway. And by that, I mean, in a per- and this isn't going to happen, okay? I'm not saying this is going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. Um, but if you want the Steelers to be somewhere in a couple of years or potentially still be 
uh, a competing team in the prime of somebody like a TJ Watt, for example. They need to let Ben walk. They're probably going to need to start Mason Rudolph for a season. Let Connor walk. Let Juju walk. Try and extend TJ Watt. Try and extend Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, you kind of take one on the, the chin next season and kind of just see what you got and then reload the season after that. Um, yeah, it's like kind of try to focus on keeping that D intact yep. and look to rebuild the offense. Because yep. no matter what, Ben coming back or not, he's obviously he's not going to play another five seasons. No, and he's going to cost them forty million dollars to return and the cap stuff. That was for, my next point for yep. a team that like honestly, like dude, let me ask you a question. You've watched them all season just like I have, right? Say they bring Ben back. Say they draft somebody to replace Villanueva. Maybe they can get like a, a reasonable free agent. Maybe like, uh, you know, Leonard Fournette comes in here to play running back or something. Nothing significant is done uh, receiver-wise. They keep what they have there. They extend Watt. They extend Minka. Do you think that team would win the Super Bowl next year? No. So what's the point of bringing Ben back for another season if you know you're not going to win? Money. Yeah, it's just for the I money. Agree. Like, I don't blame him yeah. for coming back, but I don't understand where it, it is in, the, you know, where this benefits the Steelers. And I understand loyalty and everything like that, but let's just be honest. That's that's an old-school Steeler thing that's honestly probably hurt the team more than it's helped. It's time to move on. You have to realize that. And if not, and we know this firsthand, um, the Steelers had Terry Bradshaw. They won four Super Bowls. He retired. And we didn't get a competent starting quarterback in the city until Ben came here in 2004. Just is what it is. And we made the Super Bowl and we didn't win during that time period. That's the thing that correlates with Tomlin, you know, going back to, to him and the coaching situation where I love Tomlin. I think he's an amazing coach. I think he's a hall of fame coach. Same, same. However, his biggest detriment is the postseason. And his record in the postseason, and that has just been a con- consistent and constant issue. Uh, and this year is is just the exclamation point of that. Yeah, I, I, dude, you're not going to get an argument out of me there. Um, his playoff performance has been extremely poor. Um, th- there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, and then you know, it's just it's it's always embarrassments too like the Tim Tebow game, the loss to the Browns, like, and the wins that he doesn't. And and you have to remember too, even like three years ago, they lost in the playoffs to Blake Bortles in Jacksonville, which was another big one. Uh, There's a lot of those like underachiever moments for them. And dude, check this out. Okay. I have a list here that I'm going to read off of people that are either restricted or unrestricted. Now I'll read the restricteds first for next season. Robert Spillane, Marcus Allen, J.C. Hassenauer, Trey Edmonds, Ray Ray McLeod, and Adam Edenemi, the offense or the uh, the linebacker. Okay, now here's all the unrestricted free agents the Steelers have after the season: tackle Zach Banner, Tyson Alualu, safety Sean Davis, Mike Hilton, Matt Filer, Juju, Josh Dobbs, Jordan Dangerfield, Jordan Berry, punter, uh, Gerald Hawkins, a tackle. Uh, Jerome Elliott, another linebacker, James Conner, Danny Isadora, a guard, uh, Chris Wormley, who they got from uh, the Ravens last year, um, Cassius Marsh, who was number 49. He was a backup linebacker for us who played a lot in this game. Uh, Cam Sutton, 
Bud Dupree, Avery Williamson, who, by the way, they tra- they gave away a draft pick to get him, and Alejandro Villanueva, who's most likely going to retire. And from seemingly so far what we've heard, Pouncey's done. That's a lot of talent to have to make up for in one draft and potentially bringing in a few names off the street. That's why I'm with you on your uh, initial assessment there where it's like a kind of taken on the chin experimental year coming up. It's dude. It's it's seeing what they can do in the off season. Of course, it's the gambler. It's Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. And it's time for the Steelers to fold them period. It just really, you're just putting off the inevitable. I mean, especially where Ben is right now. I go back to that. He's not going to come back next season significantly better than he was this year. Like maybe Ben six, seven years ago in this kind of a situation, I'm like, they're fine, but he's not that Ben anymore. And I don't foresee that Ben coming back anytime. Like maybe I'll be surprised. I'll, I'll just be really dumbfounded if he's the old Ben next season. And I'm, I have to say, hey, you know, uh, I would guess that you would disagree with me on this sentiment. Okay. But personally, I have to say, I, I have to give credit to the Browns. Absolutely. Um, the one-two punch w- with the running game yep. was just, I mean, dude, that first, the, the majority of the first half, we literally could not do one thing right. We're lucky it wasn't 80 to nothing, basically. Uh, yeah, it was a I mess. I mean, just penalties, fumbles, interceptions, not being able to stop anybody in the run game. It was just a mess. But again, I, you know, we, we went on a, the rant that we needed to here on our, in our forum and on our platform within the what's real podcast Wait, though, for the Steelers. The, but I have to give the Browns credit. There is another thing I wanted to mention here too, and it further creates a problem and that's Randy Finkner. Uh, Randy yeah, Finkner, the offensive coordinator for the Steelers probably does not deserve to have a job next year. And I don't think a lot of people would argue with me when I say that. Now, here's the weird thing, though, and it just configures into all this other bullshit. So they're going to bring Ben back, most likely. It's going to be a $40 million payday. I don't know how much they can negotiate that. Um, And then Finkner should probably lose his job. But if Ben's coming back for one more season and that's it, is that really the year you want to bring in a brand new coordinator and shit? Kind of restart everything, bring in a bunch of new players? Like, there's just too many moving pieces to where I don't think it even makes sense for Ben to come back other than just to get the money. Right. And, and that's fin- the thing too. Like what truly is his motivation? I know he's a, a competitor, but I'm just saying, you know, that's what that exact scenario brings up uh, the, the point that you just made. And I mean, it's, it's almost impossible to get rid of Finkner who they should get rid of. But like in the scenario that we're in, you know, if Ben's not, if Ben doesn't come back, then you can clean house. But if he's coming back, then you're almost kind of stuck with Finkner for another season. And it's just kind of rinse and repeat territory there. Yeah. So ultimately, um, it was a fun season, but just the the way that it ended uh, was just horrendous. Um, it was a vastly disappointing season. Um, you know, I don't know what else to say. You know, you don't want to sound yeah, like you start a eleven and zero, and you end the se- the regular season twelve and four, and then lose like that. I mean. I would have rather not even made the playoffs, to be honest with you. I mean, that's just, you know, bottom line. That's one of the only things I told you after the loss was one of the things about the Browns game that I hate losing heartbreaking games anyway. Like, I mean, they just, they deserve the win. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what Juju said postseason, you know, and that's another thing to bring up. Claypool running his mouth on how the, uh, the Browns are going to get killed by the Chiefs and stuff. And there's just, you know, that's the other, that brings up the point of like the culture. 
in Pittsburgh in yeah. Tomlin. You know, it's, like how how Juju's TikToking, and now we're seeing all the Cleveland memes, like you know, Cleveland Browns forty eight, TikTokers thirty seven. Yeah, and, and they can do that. Like you know, I don't hey, blame them. It's it, I look at it like this: like, all right, you made your bed, now you got to lay in it. And exactly. I don't know about yep. you, but I'd be fucking furious if I had to sit around for a year and see all these fucking memes and all this dumb shit and just pe- it's like get back to fucking football. I'm tired. Yeah. I'm dude of all places here in Pittsburgh over the last couple seasons. One thing I am completely over is a fucking diva receiver in any facet. Shut the fuck up and play. That's enough. That's that's what scares me about Claypool. I love his intensity because he's just pumped. Yep. And he's he's young. You know, don't uh, get me yep. wrong. Straight out of college, he's a rookie. But there was pictures like he's in um you know however. X amount of dollars suit looking like a model and stuff like that. And it's just that, that kind of stuff. Scary, man. Like we, we, like you said, we're, we're old heads, you know, we're the, it's that old man rant, but we go back to the stalwarts and the swans of the world, just the gritty tough guys, as opposed to, to dudes modeling on the, you know, during the week and shit. Yeah. It just is what it is. But you know, that's uh that's pretty much the coverage there. Unless I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to add there, the jam. Let's kinda... move on. Hey, <laughs> exactly. So as you guys know, since the Steelers are done, that, that pretty much concludes our Steeler coverage here on the podcast until next season. So we hope uh, all our fellow fellow Steeler fans enjoyed that. Uh, hopefully more than, you know, they enjoyed that last game because it was a nightmare scenario. So now we do have more games coming up. So it's time for me and the J to make some predictions. So the J, what do you think here about this one? Who wins the Los Angeles Rams and Green Bay Packers? So as much fun as it would be to look forward to another Steeler matchup, we're we're at where we're at. And as a longtime NFL fan, that's one good thing about it. At least there's no pressure this weekend. Hey, there's a lot of great, a lot of great matchups. So uh, looking forward to these divisional round matchups. Um, Every one of them's pretty solid. I mean, if you, if you would look at the bracketing, you would say everybody belongs there and you put the Browns in instead of the Steelers. If the Steelers were there, it's like, if this makes complete sense, the the Browns are definitely the anomaly in, in where we're at in the playoffs right now. I heard something today that's pretty wild uh, when you think about it. So I don't know if you heard this or not. Uh, At 25 years old, Baker Mayfield is the oldest remaining quarterback in the AFC in the playoffs right now. Wow. I didn't know that. That's insane. Josh Allen's younger than him. Uh, Mahomes is younger than him. And Lamar Jackson's younger than him. Wow. It's crazy. Think of that. I I like this cool little. And dude, like, and just to kind of go back a little bit on what we were talking about with the Steelers, man, like, doesn't that kind of show you that the way you do it in the NFL is with a young quarterback, not a dude that's 40. Just hit. (laughs) Yeah. But exactly. Look real quick over at the NFC side, because we have another game that we're going to talk about here in a moment between the Bucks and the Saints, where you got two quarterbacks, both over 40, the two oldest yeah. players in the league are their quarterbacks. Other, other than the uh, the Rams, because then you got Rodgers. Yeah. The other divisional matchups. So. Yeah. So well, there's only wild. And who the hell knows who's going to end up starting for the Rams? You assume it's going to be Jared Goff, but you don't know because of the thumb and, you know, what's going on with the other quarterback and, you know. Uh, to me, that kind of just says this is an easy one to pick, dude. I'm going with the Packers here without a doubt. Cause I mean, and frankly, let's be honest too. Uh, we could do this too. After this kind of tell you our regular season awards here. Would you be down to do that off the top of your head? The Jay? 
For sure, man. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, this is an easy one. You got the number one seed versus the number six seed. Anything can happen, but with the, the Rams, uh, call it turmoil um, within the quarterback position with Goff's hand, especially with it being his throwing hand, as well as he pulled off playing in the Seattle game and the, them getting the W, I just think the luck's going to run out as far as going into Green Bay and winning that. So I'm definitely going with the Packers in this matchup. Now moving over to the AFC, we have the Ravens versus the Bills. Um, the Ravens obviously are playing lights out right now. They're kind of heating up, but uh, Buffalo might be the hottest team in the NFL. Uh, in my opinion, this is going to be a really good game, but I think Buffalo comes out the winner on this one too. This one I feel is definitely going to come down to the end. I, I feel like it could go either way. I mean, I, I wouldn't be against either pick, of course. And um, I would be different just to be different here on the podcast and go with the Ravens for the hell of it because of that. But the fact that there are division rivals, and I do like Buffalo a lot, they haven't been to the playoffs for 25 years. And, um, you know, their, their fans are cool overall, I, I feel. So I'm with you, Buffalo. I'm going with the Bills in this one. This one's probably not going to be a surprise to a lot of people. Next up, we have the Browns taking on the Chiefs. Um, I've seen the Browns play three times this year, and I feel like I saw three different teams. Um, the Browns have a lot to be proud of making the playoffs for the first time in 18 years, and it's the first time they won a home playoff game since 1994, which is pretty amazing. So kudos to them and their fans on a job well done this season. But uh, the fun stops this week, guys, because you're just like Claypool said, fucking the Chiefs are going to clap them cheeks, man. So to have some fun on the podcast, hey, Ant, I'm going to swerve you and pick the Browns. I'll give you, I'll pay you if the Browns win, because I don't think it's going to happen. We'll keep it real. Just sell me. Uh, <laughs> and last up is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New Orleans Saints. Uh, this, to me, is going to be probably the best game of the weekend, I think. Um, both of these teams match up very well. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the number one offense in the NFL after week 10 this year. They average uh, 420-some yards per game, uh, which is pretty massive. Um, but Dang. I think the Saints are going to win this one. Um, I just think the Saints are built for this. Um, they They have some tricks up their sleeve. But the problem is going to be, and this is just flat out here, um, I don't know if the Saints defense can stop Brady and the receivers on this team. That's going to be the catalyst for this game. Um, but the thing is with the Saints is they kind of have the perfect catalyst, though, because they have Alvin Kamara, they have Taysom Hill. They can keep the ball on the ground, and they can keep the ball away from them. And I think that's probably the best way to do it as far as I'm concerned to win this game. But I think it's going to be very close, and I think the Saints are going to just kind of squeak it out. Some very good points. Hey, Yor. I just, again, that PTSD, man, you know how it is with the Steelers and Brady. the history with uh, Brady. So I kind of have to give it to Brady and just him always somehow pulling it out just when you don't think he can. So w with that said, that's just going to be my deciding factor. So I'll go against you on this pick too. So we'll see what happens next week. Have some fun. I'll pick the Bucks. All right, so check us out next week to see how we did on that. Real quick, I guess we could do this too, some season-end awards for the NFL. So the J, you probably agree with me on this one, so we could kind of hammer this one out of the way. Uh, one that I think you give away easily is Defensive Player of the Year, and my, my award goes to none other than Pittsburgh Steelers edge rusher T.J. Watt. 
you got to not, you know, it's not a Homer thing whatsoever. Uh, just, just stat wise alone. I always say I'm not even a big stat guy. I watched him play all year. His, his play is well above whatever the stats are going to tell you, but nonetheless, on top of that, talk about deciding factors. He, he has uh, all the top stats, uh, defensive stats needed even over Aaron Donald, the two time reigning champ. So I'm right with you. Hey, with TJ. Now, of course, this is another one we're probably going to agree on too. This is, the most improved or comeback player of the year. And without a doubt, that's going to go to Alex Smith for coming back and starting for the Washington football team after almost dying uh, after having an injury that of monumental proportions so much that they made a documentary about it. I was going to say, we both have mentioned a few times watching the E60 special, uh, the documentary on his uh, rehab after injury. And uh, anybody that hasn't seen that, I'm sure you can track it down. Uh, it's really all inspiring. It really is. I mean, he, he, again, like Ed said, he almost died like legit. Uh, so anybody to, to be on death's door at that point to, to not only come back from that and live a healthy life to, to do what he's done in the NFL regular season this year is, is standing. O territory for the J. So definitely concur there. Now this one could be interesting offensive player of the year. So the J I'm going to hand this one over to you. Who's your offensive player of the year? See, this is a tough one, and for me, it's it's real easy to go to to some of the obvious picks. Um, and I'm trying to think of maybe a, a dark horse, as you mentioned off the top of your head. Uh, but since I can't do that, uh, just thinking out loud, literally here, hey, yet, I'm going to go with old faithful. But I I do believe that he is the top offensive player of the year, even though it may be mundane at this point with, with his. Uh, dominance and performance, but I still got to go with a, a man that led a team that only had one loss all year and uh, looking to, unless something crazy happens and it is possible, but my belief went the Super Bowl, and that's Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs, but Patrick Mahomes. This is where we differ. Now, Nice, good. this is a position that doesn't win the MVP, and that's why I'm giving it to the Offensive Player of the Year. And uh, it's the fifth best rushing season of all time, especially in current day NFL, getting over 2,000 yards. So I'm going to go with I Tennessee's Derrick Henry. You got, to me, call. you have to, because that's that's monumental. That might even, like, I know it's statistically the fifth best of all time, but, like, you might even want to say that's the best of all time because teams don't even era. run the ball anymore, yep. you know? Exactly. So that's why Great I went point. with him. Now for the biggie, without a doubt, is most valuable player. And I have a funny feeling that me and the Jay – could differ on this one, but it could be the same. I'm going to go with, without a doubt, this one was close, but I just had to go here. Uh, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers is the most valuable player this year. See, I wanted to be different, and I wasn't sure where you're going to go, uh, but that's who I was thinking, uh, especially considering I picked Patrick Mahomes for the offensive player. Of the that's year. why I thought you were going to go Rodgers for the MVP. Yeah, so I was, because especially I wasn't, we mentioned it when we broke down, you know, we just had started the podcast last year in the postseason, the NFL, uh, breaking some stuff down. And at the time we had mentioned that last year's Green Bay Packers team was one of those kind of weird teams that like, you could see why they're at where they're at, but they just weren't flashy or, or too appealing compared to a lot of powerhouses in the NFL. And that kind of carried over this year, I feel, although a little more, you know, they're definitely a little more um, in the spotlight as far as being an elite team. Uh, but I just did not expect this from Aaron Rodgers. So I'm just going to have to concur with you. Hey, yeah, uh, just for his age and just not expecting him to do what he's done this year to, to what he's done. 
uh, just got to go with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty solid lineup there as far as coverage goes of the NFL this season. We hope you guys have really enjoyed the NFL coverage on here. I know that football is not everybody's bag, but me and the Jay really enjoy it. And this has been a lot of fun for the both of us. We kind of talk about this every week here on the show and even off the air that we really enjoy doing this. Uh, It's been kind of fun to kind of cover the NFL the way that we have this season. And of course, it doesn't stop. Because, you know, next week on the show, you could check us out and check all of our, uh, you know, our picks and see how we did. We'll obviously go over those, give you guys the results and break down those games next week. But we have to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to kick it into high gear with a little bit of Cobra Kai season three. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real podcast. Hey everyone, it's the Jay from the What's Real podcast here today to talk about ChurchillPictures.com. Churchill Pictures was founded by two childhood friends that grew up in Churchill Borough, just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Jared Bajoris and Damiano Fusca began collaborating on their first feature film in 2007, Deference, winner of the Silver Ace Award at the Las Vegas Film Festival in 2012. Go to churchillpictures.com to check out our original trailers, documentaries, comedy sketches, the entire history of the infamous Backyard Wrestling League, UCW, exclusive independent wrestling content, and exclusive videos showcasing our next huge film project entitled The Marks. This includes an appearance from our character, the feature presentation, Johnny Starr, on the streaming talk show, Alone Together Pittsburgh. We are Churchill Pictures. Established from the bond of two childhood friends, we envision creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Churchill Pictures. Picture the possibilities. Go to churchillpictures.com today. And we're back here on the show. And as I mentioned before we went to break, it is time to get into some Cobra Kai season three. I think it's safe to say that me and the Jay were both pretty big fans of the first two seasons after being, I would say, moderate fans of the the Karate Kid series growing up and stuff like that. I think that it's a a series that caught both of us by surprise, uh, at least for me. I didn't really think that this this series was going to be much of anything. I didn't even think it looked particularly good, but uh, boy, was I surprised after watching the first two seasons. So I was all ready to go uh, whenever season three came out. And obviously, guys, a little bit of a warning here. There's going to be some spoilers. Spoiler alert. So bottom line, uh, if you have not watched season three, you're going to want to go do that first unless you don't care. So here we go. So after the first two seasons of Cobra Kai, we've seen a lot of kind of fluctuation going on here. Uh, we've seen, you know, obviously uh None other than Johnny Lawrence bring bring back Cobra Kai. Uh, because of that, we've seen you know Daniel bring back uh, Miyagi Do uh, Dojo, and uh, essentially created these two warring factions of teenagers. Uh, after the second season, uh, they left us with a major cliffhanger as Robbie, who's Johnny's son, had kicked Miguel, one of the lead characters, and Johnny's new understudy. Uh, off a balcony and onto some steps. And it was kind of, we didn't even know if he lived or not, but uh, we found out at the beginning of season three that he was still alive, but he was most likely paralyzed and was in the hospital. Meanwhile, his son Robbie is in a detentional, you know, facility kind of a deal, like juvie, if you will. 
And uh, at this point, everybody's kind of over the karate stuff. It's caused a lot of havoc in everybody's lives, and they're kind of just trying to get along and piece everything together. Meanwhile, as Johnny is kind of given up on everything and he's pissed off about the way the situation ended up with Miguel, we see John Kreese, of course, from Karate Kid fame and the original sensei at Cobra Kai Dojo, kind of take the dojo back from uh, Johnny and basically leaving leaving him exiled and teaching his students uh, the Cobra Kai way that Johnny clearly detests, Daniel detests, and Kreese is looking to push fully. Now, with this season, too, something else that we got cool uh, on top of just the story itself evolving, this is really the season of John Kreese, where you get a ton of background about him as a person, who he was, and kind of what he went through in the Vietnam War, uh, which was pretty crazy. And uh, it also leads to one of the biggest revelations of the season, um, which there's a soldier that he kind of saves at one point, uh, you know, from from being executed. And it turns out and it's not been confirmed, but it sure seems like everything's pointing to it being the silver character played by Thomas Ian Griffin. Uh, from Karate Kid Part 3. So they're kind of bridging the gaps and everything. And if I had to take a guess, I'm going to say in Season 4, we're going to see Silver show up because he makes a point to tell Kreese that he owes him a major favor and would do anything he wants. So I think that we're going to see, with Kreese having some financial problems at the end of this season, uh, that in Season 4, we're going to see Silver come back and kind of help him save the dojo or maybe take it over himself. Um, but it's a pretty interesting season just as far as the crease stuff goes. I guess we could kind of get into that. Um, but I, I really wasn't expecting this to be what this season was. They kind of propped it up to be Daniel versus Johnny. Uh, but it really was like a pit stop here where we learned all about John crease and why he's the way that he is. That's the best thing about this show. Hey, you know, like so many great film mediums and, and TV shows is the writing, the, the writing in this stuff's been great. So bringing that up, Got to uh, give a shout out to the the series showrunners, the creators, who are actually three Gen Xers. Hey, you know? so um, I think that's why one of the reasons why we're so into it because you know, kind of along the lines of, of our similar age and you know similar interests, that sort of thing. The way they took the Karate Kid uh, mythos, and that was John Hurwitz, Hayden Schlossberg, and Josh Heald, who Josh Heald is actually co writer of Hot Tub Time Machine which yep. uh, for dumb, goofy comedies, uh, b- both of those I like. So uh, shout out there. Uh, just just real quick, hey, uh, you know, given your surmise uh, all the way up to, to where we're at in season three, just with my personal experience with this. So as you mentioned, when it was first getting thrown around, so this was kind of a launch show for YouTube Red. And yep. YouTube Red was kind of a, a, gonna be a pay service portion of YouTube with with you know different content that wasn't gonna be available obviously on the actual YouTube channel. And this whole new thing, you know, probably just to compete with Netflix and that whole thing uh, along those lines. So for me, all the podcasts I listen to, I actually listened to a podcast with Daniel LaRusso uh, to give the shout out. I think it was specifically uh, the Inside of You podcast I listened to with Michael Rosenbaum, who used to play Lex Luthor on Smallville. And I had not really thought about the Cobra Kai series on YouTube. I had kind of seen it, was somewhat interested in it, because like you said, we we grew up with the uh, Karate Kid movies and old Jared and his word nostalgia, you know? So uh, of course I was somewhat interested in it. You know, my ears perked up, but 
being on YouTube Red, it's not like I was going to go out of my way to track down getting YouTube Red. Long and the short of it, it is, it was probably the only thing on there that I really wanted to see. At all. So I wasn't going to subscribe gonna say, just for that. Yeah, I can't even name anything else that, that came from that or whatever. So uh, this podcast specifically with with Ralph Macchio though is the whole point. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. It was Ralph Macchio and William Zadka were both on it. So okay. they completely sold the show for me. And this is probably like what you know, whenever it first came out, like three four years ago, without yep. it in front of me, just guessing, and. Their interview on this podcast made me want to track down um, this or maybe try to watch it through nefarious means, that sort of thing. <laughs> Long story short, uh, when it eventually, just the timing of everything with, within this, it ended up coming out on DVD. So I purchased the first two seasons on DVD on Amazon, which actually came with a headband that is double-sided, a Cobra Kai side and a Miyagi-Do side. That's actually so you awesome. can't beat it. I still wear it because I'm I'm an asshole. I'm a big kid. My kids love it. You know, I wear it around the fucking house. You know, I would too. I'm yeah. not gonna oh, lie. it's great. So so again, the long and the short of it is, I finally busted it out. As the J has the luck, it's just like me and you with the Tiger King. Like we we watched that right away before it was the phenomenon. We we kind of beat the wave of of being spoiled or anything. You know, we were those first few people that they kind of were like, dude, this is gonna be big. So I was able to catch it like right before the big like hit and then ultimately the the um the change to them going to to netflix so that's that's the jay's personal story into falling into cobra kai i of course sucked up and just ran through the the first uh, two seasons on dvd could not wait for this season and to your point dude with the writing and where it went uh the flashbacks with building up the the john crease character it was just great. And, and then everything going on with the kids and the build up with Hawk. Uh, so this was a great episode. And, and to get back on track, uh, like you mentioned, we were back to the point where within the nom flashbacks, he kind of meant silver because that was the other take for me personally. Hey, Ed, with watching the first two seasons and blowing through them on DVD, my ass still wanted some Karate Kid. And I'm like, dude, I haven't watched these in forever. I think we busted them out with the kids in the past, but you know my ass, dude. I'm always falling asleep and, and things I've seen a million times. That's why I don't even care. I'm like, yo, the kids want to yep. watch it. It's a kid movie. I'll just probably pass out anyway, which I did. Point yep. is, I was just like, dude, I got to watch. So one morning, I think it was like a Sunday. I just happened to wake up super early. Had nothing to do till like later in the morning, 10 o'clock. I'm up at like 530 in the morning. I watched the original trilogy back to back to back. And okay. dude, it was way better than I remembered. I mean, of course, of course, the first one's a classic, but I, I remember not being that into two and three, especially three. I remember two is really good. That's dude. It's, my wife loves two. Dude, she was talking. She she was saying she might like two better than than one. I had a pretty similar experience. I still haven't watched the third one again, uh, but like there was way a better than period, I remembered. To, to like I watched, I watched the first two seasons of Cobra Kai, and then like a couple months later, they had uh, like this karate kid thing on IFC. So like I ended up watching the first one, just thinking like, I'm only going to watch the first one. And then the second one came on right after it. And I ended up watching the second one and they didn't have the, I, I had to do something or the third one wasn't on or something after. So I never went back and watched the third one, but like, I really enjoyed rewatching those again after watching the series and stuff. And the second one stood out to me a lot more, as you said. And, uh, you know, that was the way I went into season three. So I was pretty much like up to date. That's, so that's how I was. That's, that was a great, great way that, that I ended up just naturally kind of, you know, 
as a dork getting lucky <laughs> as far as that went with the, the perception of the third season of Cobra Kai, just because the whole franchise was fresh in my head from the original trilogy to the first two seasons, you know? So that really worked out for me. Cause that's what I was saying. Like karate kid three was way better than I remembered. Uh, what's his name? Silver and the bad boy of karate are two of the best yep. villains ever. They're great. Yeah, now. they're really the, good. Absolutely. I do Daniel, remember that. That's where Silver like acts like he's trying to help Daniel's son. Yep. And that's when Daniel's in Cobra Kai for the first and yep. only time ever and all that. And he makes him bleed. You know, he makes him make himself bleed, like kicking the, the wood. Oh, yeah. The, the tree, basically. So, like the, it's not an actual tree. Yeah, it's, it's like wood. It's like a wood. That's what they yeah, call it, like, a tree. Yeah, training know? apparatus thing. So, so yeah. So the bottom line is everything said and done to, to this point. I was just so ready for for this season, and it definitely did not disappoint. Uh, at one point, because uh, as we mentioned, we're not going to go by uh, episode to episode and get into ridiculous detail with the whole thing, just given our rundown of, of our thoughts on the whole series. Uh, but speaking of which, as we just were talking about with Karate Kid Part 2, they did have the episode where Daniel returns to Japan and yeah. recurring characters, uh, his love interest from Karate Kid 2 and his rival from Karate Kid 2 in that episode. And that was a great episode. That was one of the best ones of the season. I yep. was actually thinking that stuff wasn't going to be that good. And it was better than I expected. It was great. Um, and it's weird because like as a whole on the season, right? I really liked the John Cree stuff. I really liked him going back to Japan. I thought that stuff was really good. Um, but unfortunately, the way that this season was built up was you were going to get the, Mara- the the Miyagi Dojo and Cobra Kai face off. And you were most likely going to have Daniel and Johnny working together. They kind of like strung you along on that throughout the season. And they kind of give you that in the last episode. And it's that's beginning into season four. That was really disappointing to me. Um because I thought, like, I don't have a problem with the Cree stuff. I just thought it felt like the teenagers were mainly on pause for the season, um, which was disappointing. Um, they The stuff that they did this season with a lot of the, the teens and they, like, you know, Cobra Kai kind of reconfigured itself and reintroduced a few of the more asshole characters from previous seasons. That was okay. But I felt like all that stuff was done secondary. And unfortunately, one of the things that suffers because of that, in my opinion, is Johnny. Now, there are a couple episodes, specifically the one where they're doing the photo shoot for Facebook and stuff. That was that was like to me, like classic Johnny. But ultimately, I thought that this season was really disappointing for Johnny. He didn't have a lot of the humor stuff that he had in previous seasons. Now, there's some still in there. It just it doesn't come yeah, close gonna say, to the first still, two seasons to me. Yeah, there are still some LOL moments. Like, he kills my wife and I. And like you said, yeah. I mean, it pinpoints to that when he's showing those old-ass 80s pictures, like where he's yes. all greased up and shirtless on the beach. And, <laughs> so, and now, I, I thought that there was also a massive missed opportunity, and it also leads me to what I think one of the worst things about this season is. Um, there was such a good cliffhanger with the Miguel storyline. And I liked a lot of the stuff that they did with him trying to get him to walk again and everything, which, by the way, you know, as I said, spoilers, guys, he does. Um, I thought the way that they did that was trying to be funny, like where he starts tapping his foot at the Twisted Sister thing. That, to me, was cringy as fuck. And they they used one of the most emotional storylines of the third season, basically, and used it as a joke to me that just didn't work. 
Um, I was point. also ex- I was also expecting the obligatory he can walk again and they go backstage and meet D. Snyder after the show kind of a thing that they didn't do for some reason. So I just thought it was kind of stupid to do that is is basically, you know, like a comedy bit when it's really the biggest cliffhanger that you've had from the, the series so far. And it, I think it just shows that they're, they're really trying to hold back some stuff for the next season. And unfortunately, and I'm not saying that it's bad, but it's definitely, in my opinion, the worst season that we've gotten of the show so far. Yeah, and it, of course, all leads up to with the pre-forementioned Facebook picks. The reason he was doing that was for his old flame, Ali, uh, of course, the character from the, the f- classic first original Karate Kid that uh, he and Daniel fight over. The and double they start, love interest. The double love interest, and they start getting into that whole past. But that's what I like about this show and and how, you know, which is basically the backbone of the whole show from the first season is is basically taking the, the just hour and a half story from the first film and, you know, and the, the impending sequels and stretching it out and, and kind of making it quote unquote, like kind of realistic, like psychologically in a lot of yep. ways, like why everything happened. Because of course, Johnny's student, main student is, is Miguel ends up uh, getting with Daniel's daughter, which puts him into becoming friends ultimately. And, you know, first they kind of butt heads, but ultimately friends with Daniel where everything that Johnny told him about his past and Ali and Johnny and Daniel's feud, Johnny then tells Miguel his side. And like with everything, yeah. there's two sides to every story. And I thought that was a good aspect. The psychology of that where Daniel's like, yeah, but I was in love with her too. You know, yeah. and Miguel's kind of like, Oh, like he kind of sees both sides. Like they were, they were kind of fighting over this girl and they, they both kind of screwed each other, but it wasn't just one sided as Johnny no, of she- course was telling Miguel. And, and she's pretty much been established at this point before even appearing as the unattainable goal for both Johnny and Daniel. Um, Daniel's just in a different place in his life and he's married, he has kids. So like no matter how fondly he looks back on that with her, it's never going to happen. And Johnny, it's kind of the same thing. Like he longs for, for this relationship with her, but bringing her into the season and having them have the experience that they did shows that they're not going to go any further either and that Johnny's most likely going to continue on with his budding relationship with Miguel's mom. Um, And I think that that's good too because the thing is, is she most likely, Elizabeth Shue most likely does not want to be a continuous character on the show, which for whatever reason. Um, But I do think that the way that they did it was smart because it leaves the door open for her to probably show up again whenever they get back the all Valley karate tournament. And like, you know, Johnny kind of needs some fucking extra inspiration and they bring her back for that, you know, episode, it'll be a a really big deal. So I like the way that they did that, even though I felt like they kind of left you wanting for more, but I felt like that was done on purpose because there's more to do with her later on down the line and they're saving that. So yeah, they, they, they played like she was, she was kind of done with the series. The way she went but out, don't she's you, just kind of saying you get goodbye, the vibe, but it's like, open-ended because she, ex- they specifically yeah. said how she divorced, you know, she's getting, she's in the middle of a divorce yep. and they, they did it realistic. Like, it's not like she's in the middle of divorce. She sees Johnny for the first time in, in over, you know, 30 years and they just instantly get together. You know, like they built that up pretty realistically how, how that relationship might be, you know, they and had they their old, even old school do night. Yeah. Exactly. It's like, cause, cause they were both like, well, do you want to go do this? And then they were both kind of like, you know what? No. Yeah. It's probably better that we don't. 
So like you could tell that they left it as unfinished business, whether they go back to it or not. I don't know, but they definitely allowed the possibility to happen, which is definitely a smart way to write the series. And that's kind of one of the don't want to write off one of the most popular characters. Yeah. That's one of the main gimmicks of the show is really kind of how they play with the, the ongoing characters and stuff. Yep. And I love that too, with uh, going back a little bit, uh, talking about Daniel going to Japan, um, the, the the revelations there, the the way that they made that work out, it was a little corny, but honestly, I thought it was fine, um, and I thought it was like a nice nod to fans. Like honestly, dude, this is kind of weird, but like this is the season that's really an ode to like people that are really big fans of the second movie because they give you the background on crease. They give you the, the other stuff where they revisit Daniel's people from Japan. Then there's also the, the stuff with Allie. So they like kind of form back into one there too, but they, but like, that's the, the, the answers you went into the second film not having. And now they're giving you those. So like, they're giving you everything you would want as a complete fan of part two. Yep. And another so great thing, neat. I just have to shout out with the '80s themes is the soundtrack really stood out this this season. Yeah, There's I think they cut songs. You know, I think they did cut back a little bit though, because if you remember compared to they, the other seasons, yeah, yeah, like they, they like held back on the budget a little bit for that, which yeah. I could definitely see. And uh, and somebody brought this up to me uh, too, and I, and I think this makes sense. I don't really have a problem with the season being a little disappointing to me because as somebody mentioned, it was the last season that was originally written for YouTube. So this point forward, it's going to be all people that Netflix is employing. So I basically expect uh, season four to even be better than the first three uh, because they're really going to go all out for it because it's been a, it's been a really big hit for them. Um, but yeah, it's not a bad season or anything like that. It's just a little disappointing. Like I explained earlier, you kind of wanted more with the teens that you didn't get. They did do some development with Hawk, uh, which I thought was good, which by the end of the, the season, you see him essentially rejoining his friend after they go through the whole broken arm thing and everything like that's a good story arc for the season. And it ends up basically with Hawk being back on the side of the good guys with Cobra Kai, uh, joining in their training with Daniel and the Miyagi Dojo at the very end where they've kind of combined uh, the newly formed Eagle Fang Karate group. Yeah, that was funny uh, that, too. <laughs> After getting rid of Cobra Kai and giving that basically to Crease. So uh, season four is shaping up for a, a big, big uh, feud here settling. And it's pretty evident that it's going to be Crease and Silver facing off against Johnny and Daniel. So I think that that's pretty cool. And it, you know, it gives Daniel another nemesis to, uh, and silver and obviously the big showdown that everybody's waiting for is crease and Johnny. And uh, we'll have to see how that turns out, man. But it, uh, you know, there's a lot of promise for, for the future seasons of this that they're going to do. And uh, I'm willing to take a season where you kind of got to step back and, and give a lot of context to things because the, the big blow ups are coming. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. And I, I love how they use the flashbacks from the, the former films too. They, yep. they use those really good. And uh, yeah, I mean, dude, it was, it was great. I mean, this is one of those things, of course, with the, the Netflix ability to binge. I mean, we just flew through this. I, I allow Same. my kids to watch this. It's, I would roughly say this is PG 13. I forget what the, the quote unquote I, TV rating is. Cause they, they'll, I, they'll drop pussy and shit a lot. There is a fuck in there too. You know, like the yeah. kid, like they beat the fucking shit out of me. Like it's, any, anybody it, that knows my household throwing us out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
not nothing my kids haven't heard before put it that way but yeah it was it was really enjoyable man between the music the writing and and, and like i said I, I just have a really good perspective i just got lucky with that with everything being so fresh in my mind with the karate kid franchise because i feel like if if um i hadn't seen the the recent trilogy even more recently like I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're in that boat i'm sure you remember everything but watching it as fresh as i it's did it's been man, a while like, yeah. yeah that's the thing everything's right there so i'm like really into this right now and yep. um you know it all crescendoed with with once again a a huge fight my wife and i both called that out hey ed i'll, I'll see what your opinion is on this we thought the end fight scene was kind of corny though i think they were trying for too much with these kids as far as the fight choreography went and there was a lot of cheesiness to it, even though it was really cool. Cause you know, you have like, Dude. it's like a three-way dance of karate dojos fighting in a upscale Southern California home, which was cool. But there was per- certain parts of it. that was just like, uh, that kick was cheesy. That part there was cheesy, but I'm, I'm nitpicking. You know, the one thing that I thought was really bad with this third season, because it's something that really impressed me. The first two seasons was a lot of the fight sequences like that's they were what, really, yeah, that's they're saluting. really good. Uh, and the the one thing that really sticks out to me is uh, Peyton List. She plays Tori in the movie. It, you notice at multiple points in this this season that they got her wearing this fucking weird ass big wig. And they basically do it because it helps cover up the stunt fighters. And it's evident as fuck <laughs> in a lot of the yeah. scenes. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is because they did such a good job at not allowing that to happen during the yeah, first I noticed two seasons. That with the season. So the bottom line is this is a fucking karate show first and foremost, and you can't scrimp on that. You have to do that stuff right. So hopefully moving forward, that's something that they don't let happen because at the very least, and we kind of talk about this on Thursday night prime, I'm not expecting this to be brain surgery and I'm not expecting this to be something that's going to be an Oscar award winner, but I do expect the fight scenes and the fight choreography to be off the hook because you really don't have an excuse for it at this point. That's what you're promising. So you've got to deliver on that, if not anything else. And speaking of Tori, she is an awesome actress. Like they picked her role perfectly. Just her look like as the bad chick. Yeah, like she's, she just yeah, got she's that good. wrestling bitch face yep. and yep. That snarl. And that was yep. the only other thing uh, I was going to mention, wrapping everything up hey, yo, with Cobra Kai season three was um, they didn't really uh, look into Robbie all that much this season. I'm glad so. you brought this up because a lot of the stuff basically just showed him in juvie dealing yeah. with a group of bullies or Johnny trying to reach out to him. Okay. And I don't have a problem with the Johnny stuff. I thought that stuff was a little corny, but it worked. It wasn't that bad, but dude, the stuff with Robbie and the bullies all season was completely exhausting. It sucks. And frankly, that's the one writing problem I have with this show. Cause I thought that was super lazy to just kind of keep doing the same scene repeatedly throughout the season with him and this group of three bullies and specifically one bully. And they even kind of hint at one point after they get into it, that they're, they've moved past it and they're going to be kind of friendly. And that's still not the case. And they really leave that, that arc hanging with nothing really interesting. Being yeah. That's, done that, all that's stood out as being kind of expendable. You know, all things considered yep. to a solid season. So, and they had him escape from Juvie too, and it doesn't last long. And it's like, it's a stupid thing that they did. It's just like, really, this is what you do? Like, whatever, you know? And just because you made me think of it, just to, to throw it out there, because we thought this was funny. But Robbie just, he just happens to appear when um, Daniel's 
daughter, her character name's not in front of me. I apologize, but his daughter is hooking up with Miguel now. And Robbie shows up and Robbie's uh, one of her ex-boyfriends. And at one point, Daniel's yelling at her and he's like, I mean, are, are you sure you know what you're doing? I mean, f- you know, first there's like, now you're with Miguel, Johnny student. And then there was Robbie. And then there was this <laughs> other guy. And, like my wife turns me like, geez, Daniel, yeah, Daniel's daughter's kind of a whore. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, they definitely, you know, there's a few things that I'm really surprised people haven't like widely complained about. Um, I'm happy that they haven't. So like, I'm not trying to bring anything up for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of surprising what they get away with on this show. Um, that just literally people just don't pay any mind to It's kind of, it, it just really surprises me in this day and age. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, probably the biggest audience is, is, uh, teenagers nowadays. I would, I would assume, um, I would think so. And, yeah. and then just like us goofs and their parents for the nostalgia factor. So, you know, for me, it, it's like anything like we talk about, dude, I'm, we're watching Cobra Kai. I'm shocked that it's even as good as it is, as we've been saying, let's, that's like a uh, shout out to our partner. Who's whose birthday is today. Happy birthday to Damien. Um, the, oh, the partner in Churchill birthday, pictures. Yes. And uh, uh, he talks about, you know, cause he's like old school movie guy, cinephile. Uh, he's, you know, Martin Scorsese, Godfather, all the top stuff. I mean, he's not a complete movie snob. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but he's a lot more restrictive than me, you know, which we'll tell laugh about for sure. And he like hates the fact that he loves Cobra Kai, which is hilarious. So <laughs> shout, shout out to Dane. But no, it's again, it's, it's well written for what it is, man. They, they, they do good with that. The dialogue, uh, like I said, I mean, uh, the Johnny Stair character stands out, man. And Zabka's great at it. He's, he's my favorite. Dude. He kills I've me. I've been a fan like of Zabka anyway. Him. Because I mean, oh, he's, dude, he's, he's in just one of the guys. Like he's yep. in a ton of ultimate eighties movies. Bold, yeah. yeah, absolutely, no doubt about it. So it's nice to see him kind of get a spotlight where he's the star of something. Yep, exactly. So, so yeah, as we do on the podcast, even with the show, we're giving a, a, a extended review here. So. We'll throw out some stars with the five-star What's Real rating scale. Season three of Cobra Kai, hey, you know, the J gives it a solid three. Yeah, that's basically what I'd give it to. Um, you know, like I said, it's lacking in some areas, but it's still fun, and it's definitely worth checking out, especially if you're already a fan of the series. So we have a quick commercial break we got to take, guys. And when we come back, we're going to get into part one of the HBO series Tiger. Uh, or two-part special, I believe it is, The Rise and Fall of Tiger Woods. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be back right after this on the What's Real Podcast. Churchill Pictures presents Deference, available now for free for subscribers on Amazon Prime. You can go to churchillpictures.com for a free flash drive with the film. All you do is pay shipping. Again, that's churchillpictures.com. Deference. Two best friends get in deep with the head of the Pittsburgh's most dangerous crime operation and are forced to choose between their friendship and their lives. Deference by Churchill Pictures, available now on Amazon Prime. In an old industrial town, a homeless man roams the streets looking for a place to rest when he comes across a young girl in danger. He runs to her aid, and as a kind gesture, she leads him to a homeless village where he is inspired by the friendships he makes there. Soon, he finds himself involved in the search for a serial killer while running afoul of lead detectives. The Unsung, available now for rent to own on Amazon Prime. And go to churchillpictures.com for more information.
And we're back here on the show. And as I mentioned before the break, it is time to get into a little bit of a brand new documentary of sorts on HBO. Uh, Part one debuted this past week and me and the Jay both caught this. It's something that we've been eyeing up for a little while here. We're planning on doing it on the podcast, but we're doing it a little bit early, as I mentioned, uh, because of the delay with Thursday Night Prime. And this is Tiger. Uh, It's a, I believe, two part documentary that HBO is doing all about the rise and fall of Tiger Woods. And this one, and obviously there's going to be spoilers in this, guys. It's a documentary. So, okay, if you haven't watched it, you're probably going to want to watch that uh, and get back to us. I don't even think this would be bad to watch if stuff is spoiled for you because there's a lot here to unpack and you kind of got to see it for yourself. But they showed a lot of the stuff with uh, Tiger uh, as a little kid, uh, starting out a lot of video and stuff of him exists at age two playing golf and he was even on national television at one point uh playing golf at, at age two um and his dad uh kind of drill sergeant him into doing this a former veteran himself uh and you know i think that everybody knew that he was trained from such a young kid that it was cool too to see that they had his very first girlfriend on here uh giving her perspective yeah, great great Tiger insight Woods. for sure um, very much so. And uh, the one thing that I wanted to mention right off the bat in this is the absolute amount of footage that they have the access to is phenomenal. And a lot of this stuff, stuff that I've never seen before. So that's pretty impressive, too. Yeah. Have you ever seen the when he was on the talk show with like Bob Hope? Yeah. OK, so I, even, oh, yeah. I've, I think I've seen it in like, you know, montages and things like that. But I've never sat down and watched the footage. So that was cool. Like for anybody that doesn't know Tiger at age two was on a, a talk. I don't think it was the tonight show or was it? No, I don't okay. think so. I it forget was just a, it yeah, was, like so, something similar to the, the tonight show back in the seventies, like Ed mentioned 78 um, it, with his dad and, and golf clubs, Bob Hope was there and stuff. And they, sh- they have him uh, hit a driver, which he does like perfectly and impresses them. And then it was the Mike Douglas show. Okay. By the way. And then, and then they're going to have him, they're like, can he pot? And his dad's like, Oh Yeah. You know, and they established that he's two years old. And Bob Hope and the guys are just super impressed, and so he's going to set up uh, the the ball for to putt. And two year old Tiger actually takes the ball from being farther out and puts it like right next to the hole. And the guys just lost it on just how in tune yep. this two year old is to, to put the ball just right next to the hole when they they have him place it. So that off the bat, yeah, that was really cool. That was like one of the first things on there. And one of the first things that I found out on this that I found fascinating is obviously I knew that his dad taught him how to golf, but this they kind of get into the specifics of it. Uh, as a two-year-old kid, he had him putting the ball, and they said that the way he trained Tiger was to putt, and they kind of kept moving out from there, which is crazy because the one thing that Tiger is known for uh, is his Got drive. It, yep. Uh, so, you know, it really shows you how he was regimented as a child into doing this stuff. And uh, another interesting character that they introduce you to is another club pro uh, that was a friend of his dad's uh, growing up. And uh, the guy also was instrumental in helping Tiger and, you know, just was around him a lot and everything. And this guy's insight was probably the best thing on this. Oh, it was amazing. This dude, they bring up, of course. Now, this is one thing that I wanted to bring up because I didn't know this shit. So there's a point where they're talking about Tiger and his parents and their family and everything. And 
you know, it's it, up to this point, they talk about all the good stuff that his dad Earl has done for him, you know, with golf and he kind of pushes him really hard and all this stuff. This was the first time you get a glimpse into the darker side of things. Um, apparently his dad was uh, someone that gave lessons, golf lessons to people at the country club and at the Navy golf center. And his friend immediately on camera is apprehensive. You could tell he doesn't want to talk. He even asks for them to give him a moment or two. And then he's like, oh, boy, he's going to be pissed off about this one, like, essentially. And uh, and even apologizes to him after the fact. Uh, but there was a Winnebago that uh, Tiger Woods' dad used to have on a golf course. And they said it was pretty common for him to be giving lessons to a blonde woman. And then they would end up going into the uh, the Winnebago for cocktails, if you know what I mean. Uh, afterward and tiger was around this at a pretty young age and the guy even took some responsibility himself saying you know he was kind of living fast and loose with women at the he says i was married also at the time (laughs) yep he he mentions that as well (laughs) and then he apologizes to tiger woods basically saying it was wrong for them to put him around that and that's that's an aspect of tiger woods life that i had absolutely no idea about no, uh, there was there was a ton of stuff we'll get into that that was the cool thing because you know with our finger on the pulse of a lot of things and and as you mentioned way earlier in in today's podcast episode you know we would flock to to the TV whenever Tiger was on and um, you know we grew up with Tiger and his ascension and stuff and you feel like you know a lot of stuff I've even read a book on Tiger and you know we used to get Sports Illustrated in college when when he was like in his prime at at parts. And my point is you, you feel like, you know, so much about things like this. It was a lot like the last dance, like how much don't I very know? much so, but then, you know, when it's yep. put together well, and there's, there's all these things and it's like, man, there's just a ton of stuff in here that I had no idea. And they really established the fact not to completely compare it, which I'm sure a lot of people probably would to, to the last dance. And, and cause people always kind of compared in certain ways, Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods just, you know, as Tigers, um, biracial, whatever, but nonetheless, as minority sport athletes that have become, you know, as big as they have, that's that sort of comparison. And within the last dance, even though it was 10 episodes a lot longer, it was it was a similar parallel where you, you find out where their co- competitive nature comes from. And Tigers was a lot different than Michael Jordan's because of where we're at now, which is my point with what you're talking about with his dad, Earl Woods, and how he raised him from the from birth, almost literally, basically literally, because he talks about him being in his high chair watching him golf in, in the you garage know, and all that. that so, like, that's it's a, crazy. That Jordan comparison's a good one because they were very similar, but for way different yeah, reasons. That's what I was saying. Uh, exactly. Jordan came from nothing. And had to battle to be something. Tiger came from something and was told he was going to be royalty from the moment he stepped on a green. And the thing is, Jordan had a lot to live up to because he wanted to be the greatest of all time. Tiger had a lot to live up to because he was told that he was because his dad wanted to be the greatest of all time. Yes. He was built. It was regimented in him about golf. Like his girlfriend even says, like he didn't have any friends. Like that's what he did. She had to help him with social cues and things like that. Yeah. And dude, that footage that they show of him, like singing and dancing with her and her family and stuff is insane because that to me, like you're just not used to seeing Tiger Woods like that. Even as a young kid, it's, it's out of character. 
So, you know, and then even the picture that she paints about the way he grew up, like there, there's no doubt that Tiger Woods is one of the greatest athletes of our time and of all time. But the fact of the matter is, is his life was the quality of life was pretty poor because he was just thrust into golf. And there's even a sto- story told by one of his grade school teachers where yeah, he asked her to teacher. talk to his dad and ask if he could play some other sports. And whenever she brought it up, his dad was absolutely no. He's focused on golf. golf. And then you would think my assumption too. talk about stuff you didn't know and learning things within this documentary. My assumption was like maybe the, his mother, um, you know, from Asian descent was kind of like the balance. Like his dad was like this and she kind of had to put up with how the dad was treating him. But that like Tiger can like go to her for comfort, like the woman's touch kind of thing. She was even worse when nope. she admits to the dad. She was like brutal. Well, she was saying something like, you know, I tell him you kill competition. You, you leave them dead or something like that. I'm like, geez. Th- that guy that we were talking about, the family friend, the golf pro, he was like, Tiger gets all of his skill and what he knows about the game from his dad. But he's like the killer instinct straight from his mom. mom, He's like, she used to always tell him, you put your foot on their throat and you never let up. You kill them. Exactly. (laughs) And that's, dude, that's, I don't care what anybody says. I know that might sound crazy to people that don't really understand sports or aren't as heavy into sports as we've been through our lives. That is something absolute 100% that the best of the best know and absolutely understand. That it's no mercy. It's it's funny because we came out of the Cobra Kai segment. And that's the big, you know, saying of Cobra Kai is no mercy. But that's legitimately in the world of sport how you become the best at something. No mercy. You never feel bad for anyone. You're only out there to crush and destroy. Period. And that's how he was raised, man. Just pure pressure, relentlessness. His parents never taking the foot off the gas. And and that's what the the, the girlfriend even says. Like he was, it was like he was a robot. He was just being groomed to just be this golf machine. And that uh, his buddy tells that story too, about uh, his dad uh, pairing him up with this old Navy psychologist who taught him hypnotism. So he's like, Tiger basically knew how to hypnotize himself into a trance to help him focus. Like there's some wild shit in this documentary and it really shows you. And we've talked about this kind of stuff personally through the years. Like one of the things that this gets brought up and I'm obviously not comparing Jared to Tiger Woods. You should. Obviously you, you, well, yeah, that's true. You're the, you're the second greatest golfer <laughs> of all time. Uh, but like when you went to OVW and you, you said like, obviously wrestling is something you wanted to do. And then you came to that realization that that's not the kind of life you want to lead to be you know, to be the greatest of something, you legitimately have to give up everything and only focus on that yep. to be the absolute best. That's the only way you're going to, and I don't care if you're talking basketball, wrestling, you want to be a rocket scientist or a doctor. That's what you have to, you have to completely trash everything and throw all your focus into this one thing to be able to be the best at it. And that's something that Tiger was taught. And I think it's something that he knew and understood because it that didn't stop with him as a child they said his drive was insane how many how many times do you hear that about athletes we're like this guy has all the god-given talent in the world he has the genetics that are out of this world if he only had the drive that a tiger woods or a michael jordan or somebody along those lines yep. would have you know because that's that's it the really thing. separates the men from the boys yeah man. and that's the thing about getting to that level you have to be the perfect storm of all of that you know, it's like you have to have the DNA, you have to have the genetics, you have to have the worth work ethic, you have to have that natural competitiveness. That 
the mindset to be able to handle the pressure. Because yep, that's what they said too. That's what Brian Gumble. He was really good in this. I, you know, I'm a stickler Very for good. Gumble because I always bring up real. Sports. Me too. He's good, uh, man. But he he mentioned yeah. just the the burden that the Tiger was going to have. Yeah, because they they do announce, and that's something that I was really glad to. I wanted to bring up here on the show because obviously, as you guys know, listening to us sneakers is something that we're pretty passionate about. Tiger was the next Michael Jordan, which they basically say in this documentary, but he was there for the world of golf. Um, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, dude, if you ask me as a young person, like who was the biggest like marketed athlete, it's Michael Jordan. And then you're like, okay, well, besides Michael Jordan, there's not a question in my mind and there's no one even close. It's Tiger Woods. Between Nike commercials, video games, they they show it in this documentary. He was selling absolutely everything. The okay. first athlete and to ever eclipse Michael Jordan with um, yes, sales, sales and sports you know, marketing, and that was a cool aspect. Dude, of this, I don't witnessing all that again. I don't know about you, but like when I think of Tiger Woods, like if you just said, like, dude, what do you think of Tiger Woods? The first image in my head is him wearing the Nike hat. With the Nike, yep, the you know, shirt, like the, the black the, pants. Yeah, the, yep, that's the, dude, I remember watching that when, because they show that in detail here where he was basically facing off against Phil Nicholson. And like, I, I remember that. Like, my dad always hated Mickelson and I kind of did too. So like, we would both kind of watch just to see like if Tiger would beat up on him. And this one's monumental. I remember watching it like that. And that, him in that blood red shirt that they talk about in that, that's the image of Tiger Woods that I remember. Yeah, like, that's without, like, you know, whenever you think of Michael Jordan, you basically think of him, him dunking and it looks like the, the symbol, yep. you know? Yeah. That's what I, when I think the Tiger Woods version of that is him in the black Nike hat with the blood red shirt on whooping Phil Mickelson's ass. Yep. And then that's the thing too, where we, we live this, as we said, you know, we lived his rise. Yeah. We, we watched a lot of his stuff. We, you know, it's, Full circle on the podcast, as we always do, you know, t- talking earlier on about athletes that you normally wouldn't watch, but you had to watch Tiger. And, you you know, that stuff's in your head and you see stuff on YouTube, but being far removed from it here in 2021, th- th- one of the standouts of this documentary, which, which w- uh, again, just to re- reference The Last Dance was, was a lot like The Last Dance, reliving the highlights, man always gets me pumped because you just kind of forget. Oh, you yeah. just do. You, you remember, yep. but it's in the back of your head until you see it again. And just seeing the shots in his prime and just his dominance is, is just unbelievable. And they, uh, without it in front of me, as usual, allow the Jared brain fart and just unknowledge of, of the guy's name. But one, the first guy that he ever golfed with as a partner, you know how they have the two guys together on the pro tour. Oh, Nick Faldo. I, I was, after yep. it was in my head. And Nick Faldo's accounts were great. You know, some of the stuff he said, but like at one point he's like, dude, this, this, he's like, I, at that point, he's like the record book of golf is just going to be two words, Tiger Woods. That was one of his quotes. Yeah. And, and just to give you a little, not you, but anybody listening, a little background who might not be familiar. uh, The reason why this is so monumental is because Tiger Woods was basically an amateur or just out of being an amateur. And Nick Faldo was an accomplished seasoned golfer. So for him to team with this dude, he's like, Jesus, look <laughs> yeah. at this dude. Like, it, that's ama- he was utterly amazed, and he was one of the best golfers in the world at that time. Without and that was doubt. cool, too. No doubt. Because everybody, you know, he was the most successful amateur of all time, the youngest to be on the tour, Tiger. And he's teamed up with Faldo, and Faldo said that, you know, he he's like, um, I, he sliced really badly left off the first drive he ever had. And he's like, Faldo was like, yeah, and I wasn't playing great either. He's like, I think I went right. 
he's like, but the once the, like the, 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 the kind of initial bugs were out of tiger. He's like, then it, he just never looked back. He's like, he got this one yep. shot and he's like, then, then it was just on. And that was, again, it gives and me dude, goosebumps, it, man. It's awesome. And something, something else they brought up that I thought was really cool because this is kind of what I always remember specifically about him. They bring up Pebble beach. Now Pebble beach is one of the hardest golf courses in the world. And it's the one course that Tiger used to absolutely murder. I mean, he always played good at Pebble Beach. And, like, that was only because my dad was a way bigger golf fan than I was. And, like, that's the one thing he always said about Tiger Woods. He's like, I've never seen another dude handle Pebble Beach like him. And I remember that. And when they brought it up in this documentary, it's something that I kind of forgot about. So I was like, dude, I'm so glad they're bringing that up because, dude, he was fucking dominant on probably the hardest golf course in the world. Unbelievable. And that's the thing. Reliving reliving him, his prime in part one here was one of the funnest aspects of it. Um, you know, you mm-hmm. combine that, as we've been mentioning, with all these facts and factoids that we weren't aware of and stuff. And it's just uh perfect storm of a, of a great documentary, but yeah, that was, that was one of the, the great parts of this was reliving just his dominance, man. Cause, cause you forget like, like, yeah. that's how, you know, as they say, like all the, all the cliche things you want to say, like things come and go. And we're just, especially in modern age, dude, just such a fast paced society. And I know he's won a major um, somewhat recently from, from years of struggles that I'm sure we'll get into part two mm-hmm. and not to digress, but my point is, is like reliving the prime of the prime. It just brings you back. Like, yeah, dude, like he was just the best athlete, the best going in sports at that time ever. Like it was just so unbelievable. And it was massive. Yeah, we were living it that. Really we was. were watching all that shit. Yep. It's pretty cool. Yep. That's right. And so, and basically the way that this one ended up is they get into him meeting his ex-wife, Elon, uh, and their budding romance. And of course their wedding, and the way this episode ends is a woman comes into frame. Yeah, they built, it's like a movie sure and everything. <laughs> and she goes, so what do you want me to talk about? And it's pretty evident that this is the woman that Tiger Woods had the affair with as the episode ends leading into part two, which, by the way, we will be talking about I mean, right here on the program. Next yeah, if, that, if that doesn't get you like so pumped and ready to watch part two, I don't know what will. But, you know, with the, and the dude, combo it's, music that they did there and they have her sit down and everything. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't really like Tiger Woods, but like looking back on that whole situation, I actually feel it makes really you sympathize bad with him. Which yeah, we'll, we'll get into that obviously more next. You're week, sympathizing yeah, I mean, with a billionaire athlete that would like look like he was yeah. flawless at points in his life, and now you're sympathizing with him. I I said that to my buddy to, to you know shout out to our boy Justin, it's a listener, Dave asked when I was kind of recapping this to him, and I didn't really want to give him any spoilers, but I'm like, dude, that's the one thing I took from it that I'll tell you is like I I don't want to be Tiger Woods. You know, it's like one of those yeah, things. I, like, I want all that. I, I want the, the endorsements and the money and the Swedish model. Dude, I'm like, fuck that. I wouldn't want to be raised like that. Shit. I I completely identified with Elon because remember they said that when he was first kind of like interested in her, it's like she was not interested at all. She did not want to be a celebrity. Yep, she had that's, a very low opinion of celebrities. I'm like, yeah, that's I, I don't really want to be famous. And that's either. that's I'm a good. big aspect of this that they they explore too in detail, which was really cool. Is fame like the the fame. 
and just how when you're yeah. under that microscope and the pressure and just everywhere he went, just people grabbing him. And she's like the one friend of his, she's like, I didn't know how to handle it. Like people are hyperventilating and crying. Yeah. And yeah. This is just a daily that would be occurrence. weird. Oh, of course. Well, especially dude, like, dude, I've known you forever and it would be weird as shit if you got super famous and we were still cool and we go do something yeah, and, and people you're like, were fainting. And yeah, I'm like, like dude, geez, it's fucking Jared. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, dude, can we be like, dude, I can't even go to a bar and watch this fucking game and I'm being bothered 6,000 times. Uh, it's a, it's thing, a nightmare. Be, you know, be careful what you wish for kind of thing. But uh, yeah, but yeah, really, really good documentary, man. I, it was one of those things so well put together and paced. It was real breezy for its running time. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to part two, which we'll cover. Absolutely, man. So stay tuned for that next week. Obviously, we'll give you guys a star rating for it when it's over. Uh, we did one, obviously probably just doing part one's kind of goofy. So we'll just give you a final grade next week on the show after we see part two. So that's it for that segment there. We hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed the documentary. I, we both mentioned this a while ago as something we thought would be pretty good, but like to be perfectly honest with you, just from part one, this is even better than I thought it would be. And HBO just, man, no matter what it is, but like HBO sports is great, but like any type of programming like this through HBO, usually like HBO documentaries, top tier the best like yeah it doesn't get much better than that so yeah looking really forward to not only reviewing part two next week but definitely for watching it so stay tuned with us for that but we have to take one more commercial break guys and when we're done we're gonna do the break up the finish up of the show talk a little goofs as we do so uh stay tuned guys we'll be back right after this on the what's real podcast Want to advertise on the What's Real podcast? Send us an email today. Just title your email ads at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. For cheap, easy, and affordable rates, contact us today. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Would you like to advertise? Send us an email today. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James for the What's Real podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs or Geeks. And we're back. And it is that time once again, the Jay. So what do we got this week for the season premiere, if you will, here on episode 53? What what do we have on the goof front? Well, as we say throughout season one, week to week, we'll continue to say, even if we make it to season 1000, hey, we're never lacking in goofs. Welcome to Goofs or Goofs, number one of season two. And there's a ton of them. So let's get started. As we said earlier, talking about the show, uh, our show kind of always goes full circle because in this case, we open the show up on some pretty serious things that are going on currently within our country. And this is a highlight of it that was sent to me um, by Hayat himself. I actually saw the initial video, but he sent an even better one. This video is viral and it is dubbed Super USA Brothers. So... (laughs) Our first goof of 2021 is the idiotic lady that, as we said, with these quote unquote protesters that were um, going. No, tr- these no, the, these are terrorists. All That's right, what th- that is. Let's They're call not terrorists protesters. going in, trying to break into the Capitol. Uh, they were climbing walls and breaking into windows and all these different things. Well, this in particular one was a lady with a backpack on, which I thought was funny trying to climb one of the walls that people, other people had made up because there was like little like cuts in the walls that you could put your fingers in and climb up. She makes it all the way to the top to the point where one of these guys is going to grab her and then falls. (laughs) 
And it's funny because I don't think she died or even got too hurt. So we could laugh at her. But of course, as I'd laugh at her, even if she did pass away, (laughs) fucking idiot. We always say the internet is undefeated. Somebody brought this up to me with this. They were like, why the fuck was she climbing a wall when there's stairs like 20 feet to the right of her? Yeah, it's one of those things. Just walk like, up the fucking steps. You, you go up some crazy thing and finally make it to the top, and uh, you look over, and your eighty-year-old dad just walked up. And you're like, "Fuck!" He's taking the elevator. Yeah. And you're like, "Oh." So, oops. so yeah, somebody like I said, the internet's undefeated. I'm gonna even throw it on in the background here. They put on the classic 1985 original Super Mario Brothers. She's like almost there. This guy's reaching for her. Grab my hand. And unfortunately, no more lives left. And as we said, they should have been chanting EC Dub, EC Dub, EC Dub. So, I'm still kind of disappointed nobody's put that out. Yeah, we, we should have dubbed that. that we, we talked about that. I, we could have done that. I know we should have. We just made Cam yep. do it as we always do. Love you, Cam. So Super USA Brothers moving to. Uh, our second goof of the week, none other than uh, again, full circle. I must say we're, we're really good at what we do on the podcast. (laughs) Our last official podcast of season one, the film that we reviewed was the classic die hard with one Bruce Willis. And ironically trying to prove that he's out to die hard, goof hard here on season two, (laughs) Bruce Willis was asked recently to leave a pharmacy for refusing to wear a mask. Good job, 60-plus-year-old Bruce Willis. You're a fucking goof. He'd rather live free. Yeah, the quips are coming strong and fast, as uh, (laughs) filmmaker Kevin Smith said, cop out, (laughs) which Bruce Willis was in Kevin Smith's movie, cop out. And uh, shout out to our buddy buddy, um, Dave Hadley, who put, um, let's see see his comment here, because this was funny. Old habits die hard. Hate y'all which uh, is Bruce Willis refusing to wear a mask in a pharmacy, uh, but was booted. But we just had to throw Bruce Willis out there because it's like, come on, Bruce. And I don't know the accuracy of the picture that went with the article, but he has a big, huge thing around his neck that you could easily pull up. So I don't know what his deal is. You know, Hollywood elitist, as they say. But um, it's this dude, you, you brought up Kevin Smith. And I have a direct quote here from Kevin Smith. I want to thank everyone who worked on the film, except for Bruce Willis, who is a fucking dick. <laughs> so, so there you go. So as I said, just from the picture within the article, it says uh, people in the store became upset that Willis 65 wasn't wearing a mask. Uh, despite having a bandana, as I mentioned, tying around his neck, which he could have easily pulled up. We're told the diehard star who was photographed at the store without a mask on walked away without making his purchase um, due to the people, you know, kind of getting on him. But again, man, you know, it's like you're in a spotlight. You got kids as we always say, how hard is it? But the fact that he had a bandana that he could have just pulled up around his neck uh, makes me to believe that he just had another agenda or, or some fucking weird shit. I Boy, don't know. I have little to no patience for people who just don't want to wear masks at this point. Knock it the fuck Oh, it's not it's not very hard. Jesus. Especially you, Bruce Willis. What the fuck? So as we segue on Goofs or Goofs and on the What's Real podcast, there's a new children's TV show that has a star <laughs> with a huge penis. <laughs> Denmark, of course, debuts a new children's TV show about a man with a huge and uncontrollable penis, a lot like your boy the J. Ba dum ba. 
Uh, have you ever heard of a movie called Black Shampoo? No. So there, it's, it's a movie. It's a black exploitation movie from the seventies about this dude who's a hairdresser. Okay, and this dude's secret power is his dick can just continually grow. So like basically he's killing people with his giant dick this whole movie. And it's amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, just, how do I not know? I, I was kind of getting it confused with the one where um, he grows the pubes that are oh, uncontrollable. Jesus. Is that the peanut butter or something? <laughs> I forget. <laughs> you got to love our delirious state because that's the great part of Goose or Goose. Hey, Ed and I are delirious by this point. So it's perfect, a, perfect spot on the dude, show to do Goose or Goose. And especially this week, because we knew the show was going to be an epic one, and we're like, it's getting late, so we're, we're wiped out. We're, we're lucky we're even standing at this point. But this is no joke, because it's part of Denmark's flagship broadcaster. So, um, you know, they're suffering blowback from it. It's a program called John Dillermall. It's an animation starring a man with a penis so massive and flexible it can save children from danger, fetch objects from a river, and operate as a pogo stick. It's, I mean, that's what I do with mine. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't fetch children from rivers with it because that would get me in jail probably in this country. So, and rightfully so. So, yeah. you know, but Pogo, that's how I went to the store this afternoon. Right. Cause in one episode he breaks a friend's vase, which is a joke of mine. I always say, you know, I'm breaking vases. Uh, so oh, that's dude, I, full circle, but he breaks a nep- friend's vase with his penis and he must raise money to pay them back. <laughs> Boy, if I had a nickel for every time I broke a vase with my dick, I could actually give him the money to pay for the vase. Yeah. He also <laughs> he also he also uses his huge member to steal an ice cream at the zoo and the shows <laughs> the show The show's opening montage also shows him using his genitals to keep a lion away from a group of children. <laughs> so, um, no, Ed and I didn't come up with this. The the Danish people did. But um, that's uh, why John Dollarman made this segment. And I can't, I can't uh, that's keep it. a straight face on that one. Nope. That's too much. I tap. The show's um, over. Don't I tap quit. yet, because hey, you know, our last oh. topic for Goose or Goose this week is that the sperm market is booming and the sperm kings are exhausted as many people want a pandemic baby, but some sperm banks are running low. So women are joining unregulated Facebook groups to find willing donors, no middleman required. So all those dudes we grew up with that couldn't get laid. Now's your chance, bros. Now's your chance. Get out there and repopulate the planet. The sperm market is booming and the sperm kings are exhausted. Hey, yeah. So as I tell my boy, hey, yeah, here starting off season two between Super USA brothers falling off, trying to storm the Capitol to Bruce Willis's goofy ass dying hard, trying not to wear a mask to a TV show in Denmark with a huge penis cartoon Dick character Mark. and to the booming sperm market. Goofs are Goofs. Amazing. So that's it for us here, guys, on the season two premiere, episode 53. 
Welcome back. Thank you guys for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. But, uh, you know, I was going to sign off, but the Jay, man, he's revving the fuck up. I'm revving, revving my engine like baby Huey after we celebrated the new year. Hate you up here into 2021. We're hoping things are more positive and, and much better for us all. Like we said, bookending the show at the beginning. Uh, you know, no, no politics or religion or anything crazy here on What's Real. We're just trying to say, you know, it is what it is. And we all got to stick together here, man. We're all one people. You know, let's let's do this thing, peeps. You know, anybody hearing us, uh, let's get together, get each other's back, and, and just be good people there every day. Um, to to the producer of the show, our man Cam, the wizard behind the boards. Love the show. Love what you do on the show, Cam. Keep doing what you're doing. Make us sound as good as you do. We're in full 8K up in this mug as far as sound goes because of you. And to my brother from another mother, my brother, hey, yo, doing it again, man. Season two. Let's make it to season a thousand, brother. Keep doing what we're doing. Love what's real. Happy to be back. As we always say, stay safe, stay healthy, all. You'll hear me next week. So that's it for us this week. Obviously, thanks goes out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts into the show. Appreciate all that work. The Jay, my tag team partner in crime, brother. Nobody else I'd rather do it with. So sit. thanks for sitting down with me here every week as we do here on the program. Let's kick off season two in the righteous way right here, guys. Let's do a little bit better for each other. We'll see you next week, guys. Stay safe, stay healthy, and go steal some ice cream at the zoo with your giant junk. See you next week, everybody, right here on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? What's real?